and place the equivalence of malware. Recorded live. Financial malware. Well, what's the point? Where's the financial connection into this? The connection is it's simply evidence of what we've been talking about on a regular basis on this program. If you're going to store your currency, if you're going to store your wealth in the form of a digital currency, even a cryptocurrency, the idea that you're going to be safe and secure is is certainly, you know, not not very credible. We just had seventy-two million dollars worth of bitcoins disappear a week or ten days ago, and here we have Bitcoin orgs thinking they're going to be attacked by a government. They don't identify which government. Maybe they're talking about Chinese. Um, maybe they're talking about American, Russian. I don't know. They didn't identify which government they think is going to pose the the threat. But when you stop to think about it, insofar as government is hungry for extra currency, Bitcoin is a pretty obvious choice. If you were going to rob somebody, Bitcoin is probably a pretty good target because you can probably set this up where you can extract wealth and most people won't care if Bitcoin is robbed because they don't have any and they don't understand it. Right? They won't even care if it's robbed. And who is going to enforce against the government? Who's going to even prove this? That some government hacking agency broke into Bitcoin here, there, wherever, and ran off with some digital currency. So the point in all of this is that Bitcoin is not, it's an exciting technology, it's a brilliant technology, but yet it is digital, it is subject to, it's easily subject to theft and, and uh, you know, they made to disappear. I mean, even the 72 million that disappeared, who got that? Was that yeah. taken by some, by the Russians, by the, by the uh, government of the United States? Was it taken by somebody in Bitcoin? We don't even know who stole this stuff. Yeah, but Al, you know, and, you know, Frank is responding the same thing that I was going to say. I think it's bunk that they can't defend themselves. I mean, come on. Here no, I don't think Here that. they've created, no, 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 no. Here, they can't do anything about it. That's just a disclaimer for them so they don't have to give back any more tokens if something should happen. I mean, here they've created supposedly a system that's supposed to be so private, so big, so techni- you know, technology advanced uh, to provide this type of a investment, and they can't protect themselves. No, they can't. From the attackers? My I argument mean, or my argument is nobody can protect themselves. Nobody can. From a determined hacker who wants to get into your computer or into your digital accounts and the rest of it. None of us can do then that. I, wouldn't, it, I mean, it, they just it, had it, a story in the Hacker News where somebody hacked into NSA, the United States government hacking enterprise. They said, oh, we got this one. Download, and they downloaded a number of devices, uh, digital devices that the U.S. government had devised for hacking into other people's computers, and, and now they've exposed this to the world. I mean, even the government can't protect hackers, can't, can't prevent hackers from breaking into their computers. And the problem with it is that if you have a computer that is accessible to everybody in the country, got a program that everyone can get into, all right, by definition, there's no way you can keep 
a really sophisticated hacker out. If it's easy enough where ordinary people like myself can access the Bitcoin, then it's easy for ordinary hackers to access Bitcoin. Just because it's open to everybody. You know, you can't have high, you can't have sophisticated defense systems that are open to everyone or even a substantial number of people. Take the Internal Revenue Service. They don't, they're not open to everybody, but they have a system where agents in the field, they can access the IRS, they can access the IRS computers to find out what, whatever information they need on whoever it is they're going after at any particular time. There have to be thousands of agents who have access to the Internal Revenue Computer. Once you set up a system that is user-friendly for thousands of agents, it is not sufficient. There's no way you can protect that against a sophisticated hacker. You can protect it against I know me. there's a lot I know there's several people out there that are recommending to get Bitcoin and so forth. They think it's, mm-hmm. you know, the thing to be in. It's just like you'd have to be insane to be carrying Bitcoin in a portfolio. I mean, I mean, in any I mean, there's of a lot online. of investments that don't make a lot of sense, but this is another one. You know, you can profit. Some people have made enormous profits off of Bitcoin. I won't say you have to be insane to have it, but you've got to be a little bit crazy to think you can get the Bitcoins and squirrel them away and you'll buy them today and you're going to save them for 10 years. You're going to get hacked in 10 years. You're going to get hacked maybe this year, maybe next year, whatever. But you have no real security for any any digital wealth. If you're storing your wealth in a digital format, you know, you're vulnerable. And it's one of the reasons why you look at something tangible like gold and silver. It's not easily stolen. I mean, it can't be done. It's not like $72 million. Nobody's going to steal uh, $72 million worth of gold just by pushing some buttons on the computer. They can't do that. Right? Somebody's got to actually come out there and risk their lives to steal the gold. But the computers, you don't have to risk your life. It's a lazy man's way of uh, of robbing people. Sit here and do a little computing, devise a program, and presto changeo, your money is some in some account. But even then, even who, how do the thieves, whoever stole that $72 million in Bitcoin, what guarantee do they have that somebody else isn't going to hack into their stash $72 million worth of Bitcoins and rob them? And it could be somebody from Bangladesh or somebody from Kiev. <clears throat> it can come from anywhere. Okay, the lesson here is there's no, there's no absolute safety in this world. Uh, that's first point. But the most safe investments you can probably get into are gold and silver. They are the least likely to be stolen. Certainly, they make it much more difficult than digital currency. We're out of time. I want to thank all of you for listening. I'm Alfred Adisk. This is Financial Survival here with Melody Cedarstrom. We'll be back on Monday. In the meantime, good Lord bless you, me, Melody, Frank, the producer, and Joe from Arkansas. Studies have 
shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. function properly. Pure is the cleanest water, also known as distilled water. Some frauds pushing fake science and ignorant people repeating their disinformation and half-truths will tell you distilled water leaches minerals from the body. What they fail to tell you is distilled water only attracts and flushes inorganic minerals from your body. These are minerals your body cannot process and can interfere with your proper body functions. Distilled water does flush these inorganic materials from your body and is an effective and natural way to cleanse your body. AVR sells a distiller that distills one gallon every three and a half hours. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com, click on the Superstore, go to the distiller, check the pricing and how to order, and watch the video explaining in detail why distilled water is pure water. Hey, hey, just don't pay. 
right, good afternoon all. This is the Frank Report. I'm your host, Francis Stephan. You are listening right here on American Voice Radio Network. It is Monday, August 22nd, 2016, and it is about eight minutes after noon Pacific time. If that's when it is where you're at, we are, in fact, live, 800-932-1980. 800-932-1980, that is the call-in number, as I said, and I'll say it again because a lot of people miss this. It is Monday, August 22nd, so... There it is. That's your announcement that it's live or not live, so you don't have to go in the chat room and ask, is this live? Well, I guess if you just came in, you do, because, well, if you missed it, you missed it. But anyway, so there you have it. Speaking of the chat room, theamericanvoice.com or americanvoiceradio.com is where the chat room is located. You will see it, AVRN chat. It's right at the top of the menu bar. Click it. Now, if you don't have an account, you will have to send me an email, which is right on the site there. I mean, it gives pretty much pretty good instructions. I mean, it does. It says if you have difficulties. Well, you will have difficulties, okay? I should change that to when you have difficulties. Or just say, listen, you got to send me an email. Because, um, well, it's one of those cases where, you know, if you ruined it for everybody... And I haven't been able to I've been I've been putting out fires, folks. And not literal fires like they are in California, but uh let's see, Friday just to you know, a little housekeeping, let you know. I know people like to know what's going on and uh the troubles and travails of a network, a radio network, but I'll tell you anyway. Uh, Friday uh I lost the computer. I didn't lose it. I mean I know where it is just doesn't work because uh, the power supply fan failed and uh, that fried the uh, the power supply like a lot of new newer power supplies have a heat protection thing to where they you know they'll just shut off before they're damaged okay which is a pretty nice feature but uh you know they they will shut up, but this was this this computer I gotta say was ten years old and it's run almost every day of those ten years all day. So I can't really complain that eh, well this thing piece of junk. Well you know I built it for about two hundred dollars ten years ago, and uh, you know now it's finally giving it up. So I can't really complain. That's pretty good life, you know, for a computer, especially the way this one was run. You know, every day, all day, it just wasn't, uh, you know, it didn't do much, though. You see, that's one thing about why I have a lot of computers. Some some of the networks prefer to, you know, get two big, fat computers and run everything off of them. Well, I prefer eight computers that only do, like, one thing each. And the reason why is because they tend to last longer. That's That's been my experience. I can't show you any data or anything on that, but that's been my experience, that the less you make your computer do, uh, the longer it runs. And seeing as how these ones run all the time pretty much, uh, the less they need to do, the better off it is. And, you know, I have the room and, and all that. So that's just the way we set it up. And uh, fortunately, I have... Uh, you know, I try to keep ahead of things here, so 
I don't know, five, six months ago, I found a deal for a refurbished laptop. And um, I don't know, it was $125 or something. And I bought it as a backup. And now it is in service. And you were just listening to it in the ads and the uh, music there. So that's that's what that is. And, you know, it's uh, Ben. Oh, hey, the real the real story is not that because, like I said, I had a backup for that. Uh, there's this data thing. See, and hard drives, they don't like heat. Well, they don't like heat. And uh, I couldn't get my data off of it, which was very bad, okay, because I noticed that, oh, gee, all the show's bumpers for all the shows are on there, and I didn't have a backup. Oh, I was pretty uh, concerned, you could say. That would be a very bad thing, all right? Well, uh, turns out I tried all kinds of, uh, you know, recovery programs and everything, and I wasn't having much luck, and then I remembered, and basically why I'm telling you any of this is so I can pass this on. A little long-winded, but hey, it's Monday. I remembered an old trick somebody had told me, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago, back in the old days, that if your hard drive, because see, back in the old days, the thing, you know, everybody complains, ah, she's junk made China, well, as far as hard drives go, the junk made in China is better than the real good stuff that was made in the good old USA, you know, 15 years ago, which it wasn't, okay? It was made in Taiwan or some other South Korea or somewhere else, right? Well, it's not their fault. The technology just wasn't what it is today, and uh, today... You know, hard drives are actually uh, a bit more resilient. But back in the day, hard drives used to fail on a regular basis due to mostly heat. You know, heat's a killer. And, you know, these data centers have, you know, climate control, air conditioning, and all that. But the technology's just gotten better. They are more resistant to heat today than they were 10 years ago. But 10 years, 15 years ago, whenever it was, somebody had said, yeah, hey, you know what? If your hard drive fails, and I don't know, I, I just was sitting here like going, oh, man, none of this stuff is working. I'm in trouble. And I don't know. I just, I, I just remembered somebody had said, hey, what you do is you take your hard drive and you put it in the freezer for 10, 15 minutes. You take it back out. You let it get to room temperature and you start it back up again. So I figured, well, huh, I ain't got nothing to lose. I, I mean, I'm not getting any of this data anyway, so big deal. So what if the freezer breaks it more? It's already broken. Well, I did it, and it worked. So there you have it for little wives' tales, uh, you know, home remedies, uh, even in electronics. They, they just work sometimes. And that's not to say it's always going to work for you, and that's always going to be the solution. Just throw it in the freezer. But... uh. It worked this time, and I'm very happy that it did. And uh, believe me, I now have those files absolutely backed up in like six different places. So uh, I basically have to get nuked here to lose all those files. Yeah, well, hey, I suppose that could happen. Anyway, so there you have it. That's uh, that's pretty much what I was doing this weekend was getting that 
thing all set back up so it'll, you know, actually work. Boy, I'll tell you, Friday, I was really glad we had a light schedule on Friday because I really had to scramble just to get the couple of shows out that we had because I was like, uh, well, sucking wind here, man. Anyway, so there you have it. That was my, that was my, you know, interesting little technological nightmare story. <laughs> it ended happily, by the way. So it's always good when there's a happy ending. Which, you know, I don't think we're going to get a happy ending in America, folks. I mean, we can all think, oh boy, Donald Trump's going to ride on in in his white, you know, Cadillac or whatever, and he's going to save the day. I wouldn't bet a whole lot of money on that, okay? And that's not because I'm I'm criticizing him like he's a bad guy or something like that. I'm not. Uh, it doesn't matter who it is, all right? I mean, obviously, if Hillary Clinton gets in there, it's the end of the world as we know it, but it could be it, it, it could be a guy that everybody loves. Everybody knows this man. This is honest guy. He just never lies. He's always truthful. He's gonna do what he you know his best to do what he says he's gonna do. It doesn't matter, man, because one guy going into the White House can make some serious changes, as we've seen Obama do. Now remember, though, it's taken Obama eight years to screw things up as bad as he has. Just him. And things were not floating along real happily before he got in there. George Bush, listen, let's not forget, George Bush did his part to screw this country into the ground, too, along with Clinton and his daddy. Okay, so don't don't get any, you know, oh boy, Obama. Yeah, while he might be the worst president we've ever had, he's in a long line of terrible presidents. Traitors, folks. See, this is the problem. These are not incompetent, just dishonest people. These are traitors to America. George Bush Sr. is a traitor to America. His whole story about being a, uh, a fighter pilot and all that is all bunk and crap. He's not even, his name ain't even Bush. He's not even a real Bush. Check into it, folks. This is a sordid, seedy crooked, treasonous story. And then Clinton, his partner, and if you don't think so, look into that too, folks. The Clinton-Bush crime family, they like to run drugs together and make money. Isn't that great? Then we've got the idiot son, who just did what Dick Cheney said all day, kind of like Obama does what uh, Valerie Jarrett says. And here we are. And you think one guy in four years, is going to be able to come in and fix everything? I don't think so. You see, any president coming in there is, is I mean, who wants this job? I mean, really, would you want Would you want to take this job, folks? I mean, look, a couple hundred grand a year, that's a nice paycheck, but would you really want the job? Think about it. I mean, okay, look, unless you had a serious plan, like, look, I can take care of this and I know how. Well, okay. But the only way I can see how is to annihilate Washington, D.C. and everyone in it. Because that's the only way you're going to get rid of all these bureaucrats. And they've got them seeded all out throughout the country in their little uh 
Bureau of Land Management, Forestry, IRS, FBI offices all around the country. They got these dirtbags, Social Security, all these bureaucrats from the federal government are infesting the whole country. But it'd be a good start to cut the head off in Washington and get rid of the whole Congress and Senate and start over with them. And the Supreme Court, same thing. Because, folks, it's just so infested, is what it really is, with parasites. And they're called globalists. And that's really what it is. It's about globalism. It's been about globalism. Man, I remember 15 years ago, we used to be protesting every U.N. day. Okay, every U.N. day, we would go down to the courthouse and bring a barbecue and burn U.N. flags. Everybody could get a U.N. flag. We had them there, and uh, people brought their own, and they could bring U.N. flags and burn them on the barbecue of the courthouse steps. Oh, back in the day, man, we had television uh, cameras there every year and the whole thing, and that just dwindled and dwindled and dwindled as we got more and more globalists as our president. George Bush, Bill Clinton, the idiot son, and now Obama. All globalists. Serious, big-time, communist globalists. I'm talking communist, worldwide communist revolution, all right? And people just, you know, if people feel they can never win, they're not making any progress, we're going in the wrong direction no matter how hard I try, they end up giving up. And that's what's happened with the, we haven't had a United Nations protest around here, so I can't even remember when the last one was. And that's, that's it. It's because people are being beaten down to the point where they figure, well, look, man, you know, they're just not going to quit. They're just not going to stop. We're never going to we're never going to defeat them. I quit. I'm going back to the TV, back to my Budweiser, back to whatever. You know, I'm just not going to bother because we're just there's no hope. Well, you know, and I, I kind of get that. I kind of get that. But. Look, that's the good fight. You know, really, the good fight is a fight you take on because you're on the side of good. I'm going to stand up for good. And I don't care if I win. That's fighting the good fight. Fighting the fight because it's the right thing to do, whether you're going to win or not. It doesn't matter if you win or not. I mean, this is really one of those cases where that old saying about, well, it doesn't matter if you win or lose, it's how you play the game. Well, it's not even so much how you play the game, it's that you do. And you keep playing, no matter how many times they beat you down, you get back up and you go, oh yeah, well, you know what, I'm still here, and I'm not going away, and I'm not going to stop until one of us is dead. It's either me or globalism. And you really kind of got to take that mindset. Or you're never going to, you, you know, because this, you know how long they've been, they have been working on this far longer than most of our 
lives. Now, I know there's some 70, 80, 90-year-olds out there that they may have uh, an argument that, nope, they, you know, they weren't doing this when I was a kid. Well, that may be, may be true. But throughout my whole lifetime, and I'm 55, they have been. They have been marching towards globalism, telling us it's the only way, it's the obvious thing, it's just the way it's got to be, it's the only thing that makes sense, nothing else will ever work, it's all bad except globalism, even though the world is falling apart and turning into a cesspool, the more globalism we do, things used to work. People used to live, even in places where, okay, you know, it used to be You'd look at a country and say, well, their standard of living is not as high as ours. But folks, they still had a standard of living. Okay? People still went to work. They made money. They lived in a house. They ate food. Yeah, they weren't driving Cadillacs and going on vacation around the world and having boats and skidoos and all these other things. But they were living. And they had a lower standard of living than we did. And maybe other, maybe someplace had a higher standard of living. They could, they could afford more Cadillacs. But the thing is, now, because of globalism's march into the future, we don't have a difference in standard of living. Now we have abject poverty or immense wealth. Look at the poor countries around the world. Look at the Middle East, for example. The United States, globalism, has bombed them into the Stone Ages. Okay? We have destroyed their countries. We have destroyed their way of life. Ah, what's our solution? Hey, I know, let's move them here. What? Let's move them here? Okay, let's see. Uh, so my neighbor is doing something I don't like. I don't know what it is. Anything. Just pick something. So I decide, well, I've had enough of that. So I go over and I blow up their house and I burn down, I burn everything down and maybe kill a couple of kids. And then I tell them, hey, you know, I really didn't like what you were doing, so I blew up your house and, you know, killed some of your family members. But, hey, tell you what I'll do. I'll move you into my house. Hey, what, do you, what, what kind of idea do you think that is? You think that's a real good idea for me? I mean, if I'm going to blow up somebody's house you re- and kill their family, you think it's really a good idea for me now to move the survivors into my house? Sleep tight, Frank. Yeah, Sure. I mean, really, let's use our heads here. You wouldn't do this kind of crap on a personal basis, so what makes it okay to do on a national basis? You don't think these Syrians are a little pissed off at the United States for bombing their country into dirt? The Mexicans have been taught throughout their whole life that, whoa, the United States stole all that land. That's really Mexico. They stole it all. Well, what the little weasel Mexicans aren't taught is that, no, you made a deal, you gambled and lost. We didn't, the United States didn't steal that land. We might have got a great deal for it. But, see, the Mexican slime buckets thought that they were going to, like, get the money and then get the land back. 
You might not know this, but you see, part of the deal for that land that used to be Mexico, and let's not forget a little war, too. The United States could have taken over Mexico City and therefore taken over Mexico, and it chose not to. Because, see, we were a lot smarter back in those days and recognized, you know what? That's biting off more than we can chew. We can't run this cesspool. We've got our own problems. We've got a huge country over here we've got to run. We, we don't need any more, especially not these, you know, troglodyte savages over here. We don't need to be dealing with these people. Look, we just kicked your butt a little bit. Now stay down there or else, you know, we'll really hurt you. And, and that was enough. Now we think, well, let's occupy the place because that always works out really good. So let's not forget the little war part, too. But the deal with the land was, hey, there was a stipulation that if you do not subdue the Apache, the land reverts back to Mexico in so many years. There was a time limit that the United States had to subdue the Apache because, you see, the Mexicans couldn't, they couldn't colonize, they couldn't settle in any of those lands, like in Arizona, New Mexico, and up that way, because the Apache were there. And the Apache would kill them. And they, they did kill them. And there's nothing the Mexicans could do with the Apache. They couldn't deal with them. They just, you know, just didn't go there. So the land was inaccessible to them in the first place. So they made a deal and said, well, you know, hey, and if you can't subdue the Apache, then the land comes back to us. Well, guess what? The U.S. Cavalry subdued the Apache. Subdued is a nice euphemism for, well, we killed them all, or most of them. So this whole business about stealing Mexico is just pure BS. But they've been taught that their whole life, and they really believe it. So they hate America also. So let's, hmm, let's review. We're bringing in people from the Middle East that we've killed their families and blown up their houses and, you know, just ruined their whole, I mean, just destroyed their whole country and way of life. And we're moving them here. Hmm. Think they might have a little resentment. Then we have the Mexicans that believe that, huh, this is all ours anyway, and you stole it from us, thief. Oh, a little resentment there, too? And we're moving them in. Okay, what could this possibly be called other than treason? when your elected officials are doing it. See, people have sent me, you know, notes and such about saying, well, you know, you really shouldn't say they should be hanged. That's a little extreme. No, it is not extreme. It is the punishment for treason in a time of war. And good God, we're in like, what What are we in? Like five, six, ten, twenty different wars? They've declared war on everything. They got a war on drugs, a war on poverty, a war on illiteracy, a war in the Middle East, a war on terrorism. I mean, it goes on and on. They got a war on everything. So don't give me we're not at war. And people can go, I get contradictions that the Congress said. Yeah, okay, fine. So, ooh, let's add that to the list. They're violating the Constitution. But the fact remains do you know, under international law, If you have all the elements of a war going on, then it is a war. You don't have to declare it under international law or anything. You commit acts of war, you are at war, whether you make a declaration or not, under international law, the law of nations. 
And war is only supposed to be among nations. Not among inanimate objects or ideas. We're having a war on an idea. That's what the war on terrorism is. It's a war on ideas. War on drugs is not a war on drugs. It's a war on the people who take drugs. Which is odd, seeing as how the United States government supplies most of those drugs. And profits off of most of those drugs. Pretty good, huh? But they also profit off the prison system. Wow. What a business model, huh? Let's see. We'll bring in some drugs, which will sell and make profit in the billions. Then, when the people buy the drugs that we profit making billions, we will arrest and incarcerate a certain percentage of them and put them in prison and make them our slaves so they can work for us and that they can make products and we can make money. Wow, this is a great country, ain't it? All right, so let's get on to some news and stuff. So I guess back to the back to the initial thing. I don't think we're having a happy ending here. So folks, you know, it, but look, nobody was guaranteed a happy ending. All right, nobody was guaranteed ice cream and cake. Nobody was guaranteed any of these things. Okay. You just got to deal with what we got. We can get through this, each and every one of us. We won't. We will not survive this. This is my prediction. We will not survive this as the nation that you grew up in. We will not survive this intact politically, I don't believe. I could be wrong. Maybe we will. Maybe everything will be fine. But I don't think so. But you can. Your family can. Oh, it might be a struggle, and it might not be that much fun, but you can do it. But what I can do right now, and I've got to, is take a break, and we'll be back in just a bit.
have shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. function properly. Pure is the cleanest water, also known as distilled water. Some frauds pushing fake science and ignorant people repeating their disinformation and half-truths will tell you distilled water leaches minerals from the body. What they fail to tell you is distilled water only attracts and flushes inorganic minerals from your body. These are minerals your body cannot process and can interfere with your proper body functions. Distilled water does flush these inorganic materials from your body and is an effective and natural way to cleanse your body. ABR sells a distiller that distills one gallon every three and a half hours. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com, click on the Superstore, go to the distiller, check the pricing and how to order, and watch the video explaining in detail why distilled water is pure water.
Frank Report. I'm your host, Francis Stephan. You're listening right here on American Voice Radio Network. It's still Monday, August 22nd, 2016. It's about 1248 out here on the Pacific Time Coast. 800-932-1980 is the call in. TheAmericanVoice.com or AmericanVoiceRadio.com is the website. Chat room's there. Archives are there. Everything you need to know about the network is there. All right. Had a little theme there. Uh, this Grateful Dead, U.S. Blues, and Ship of Fools. Pretty much uh, both songs are about America. Hmm. Anyway, let's get to some things here. Uh, uh, let's see here. You know, one of the main things that they that the Democrats, meaning the mainstream media, 
like to push is, what about your tax returns, Donald? What about your tax returns, Donald? What about your tax returns, Donald? And they keep hammering on it, and they never ask, okay, what about Clinton's medical records? What about your emails? What about your tax returns? What about all these donations from all these you know, international terrorist groups? What about this? What about all that? Not that. We don't care about that. Where's your tax returns? Even though he's in the middle of an audit. And nobody has said, no, you're not. I'm sure these news organizations have called the IRS and said, is he really under an audit? And they probably said, yes, he really is. He is every year, and he is again this year. Now, why would I give you my tax returns if I'm in the middle of being investigated? You know, they always talk about, oh, I'm sorry, we can't give you any information because we have an open investigation going. What the hell do you think an audit is? They call it an audit? It's an investigation. It's just a financial investigation, but it's an investigation all the same. So why is it okay to say, oh, I'm sorry, we can't tell you anything about Hillary because, well, we have an ongoing investigation, and it's our policy not to comment on ongoing investigations. Yet, the Democrats sit there and turn around and say, oh, let's see your tax returns. Well, I can't. There's an ongoing investigation. Oh, well, you're just hiding. Oh, well, you just don't want to tell us. Oh, what are you hiding, Donald? What are you hiding? What are you hiding? See, I mean, and there's all kinds of articles online right now about, and by, you know, some by credible people, some by not so credible people, but they're all basically saying the same thing, that look, it's becoming very obvious that the mainstream media is absolutely biased, absolutely corrupted. They're not even trying to show any kind of uh even playing field and reporting the news. They're nothing but propagandists. Now look folks, I'm I'm up I'm honest with you. I have an agenda. Okay? I have an agenda. My agenda is liberty. My agenda is freedom. My agenda is that we have a law abiding government. Meaning if it ain't on the page, it ain't on the stage. It better be in the document or you ain't allowed to do it. That's my agenda. And I'm sorry, the people in charge have been violating that for decades, probably centuries now. They're criminals. They are committing treason right in front of our faces, and my agenda is to expose them. And I don't really care if you're a Republican or a Democrat. You know how many criminal Republicans there are in the House and Senate? It's disgusting. The Speaker of the House is a fraud, okay? He's a rhino. That ought to be the new, instead of an elephant for the GOP, they ought to get a rhinoceros as their new, what, mascot, I guess? And, you know, an ass is perfect for the Democrats. It always has been, and that's what it ought to stay. They just need to put Hillary's face on the front of that ass. But, you know, other than that, the Republican Party isn't any better. And in many ways, they're worse, folks. Because, really, Democrats, you know what you're getting. Or you should. You should know. 
because they tell you, okay, we want to take everything you've got and we want to uh, pass it out to everybody else. Oh, well, gosh, that's nice. But the Republicans, you see, what, what makes them, in my mind, even worse is that they lie to you. They sit there and they make you think there's something they're not. Okay, they tell you, oh, we're for the small businessman. No, they are not for the small businessman. They are. They have been trying to destroy the small businessman. They like to say, oh, well, we're pro-business. No, you're pro-corporation. And corporations don't want competition because a corporation's goal is monopoly. Now, if you want to live in that kind of world, then fine. But see, we used to have antitrust laws in this country, which have been dismantled little by little by little by little. And the one who started it was Ronald Reagan, who said, oh... We're going to deregulate. And everybody goes, wow, deregulate, that sounds great. We've got too many regulations. That's wonderful. But it didn't apply to you. You still got to get all the permits you ever had to get. You still have to get all the licenses and pay all the fees. You still have to go through all the training and go through all the BS to do what you need to do. Nothing has changed for you. You have not been deregulated. Who got deregulated was the banks got deregulated. The corporations got deregulated. And now look what they've done. They started to consolidate. They have turned into IG Farben. And I got news for you. We can say, well, it's fascism. No. You know what it is? It's another, it's a corporate version of communism. That's what it is. Fascism and communism are like the Jews and the Muslims. They're two sides of the same coin, okay? They just disagree on uh, how we need to do what we're doing. That's all. And look at communist China, how well they have adapted into fascism, if that's really what it is, because, you know what? They base, their corporations are basically supplying the world. With everything. How'd that happen? How does a communist do that? How can these people be making money over there? Communists aren't for that. They're not, they don't agree with that. That's not their way. Well, apparently it is. Okay, here's something from the a little too little too late. Too little too late. Okay, file. U.N. admits role in Haiti's cholera outbreak after years of denial. Well, this is how they do it, folks. Okay, this is how Monsanto did it. This is how Dow did it. This is how they always do it. Deny, 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 rake in the billions, rake in the billions, rake in the billions, rake in the billions, and then go, oh, gee, you were right all along. Sorry. Oh, here's uh, $400 million or whatever. Here's a few million dollars. You know what? It's chump change to them. It sounds like a lot of money to you, but you have no, no idea how much money they make off their criminal enterprises. And when they get caught and fined a million dollars, they don't care. That's like somebody telling you, oh, oh, listen, uh, you know, uh, to drive your car, you got to go buy, uh, you know, 
a license plate for it. It's going to cost you, you know, 100 bucks. Oh, okay. Most people, they, you know, if they have a car and they can afford insurance, you know, generally the tags aren't all that bad. Yeah, okay, fine. Whatever. It's nothing. In other words, it's nothing. It's like a $25 parking ticket to these people. Does that keep you from, you know, not parking where you shouldn't park? Hell no, that's no deterrent at all. So now the UN, you know, yeah, he, uh, <laughs> they're admitting it now. Okay. Now here's something that, you know, generally I, I come down on the other side of this because there's too many women out there faking rape. A former Massachusetts high school athlete will avoid serving jail time and registering as a sex offender after he was charged with sexually assaulting two unconscious women at a house party. David Becker, 18, has been charged with two counts of rape and one count of uh, incident assault battery in connection with the April 2nd incident at a party reported uh, mass line. Palmer District Court Judge... Thomas Estes, on August 15th, ordered Becker's case continued without a finding for two years, and he was sentenced Monday to two years of probation. During that time, the high school student was ordered to avoid drugs and alcohol, submit to an evaluation for sex offender treatment, and stay away from the two 18-year-old victims. Now he can look forward to a productive life without being burdened with the stigma of having to register as a sex offender. Well, that's nice. You shouldn't let a little rape mess up your future, huh? I mean, you know, that would be that would just wouldn't be fair, would it? I mean, oh, you raped somebody, and now we're going to hold that against you for the rest of your life? Oh, well, gee golly, that's not right. Now, I don't know the facts of this case. For all I know, it might have never happened. Okay. They might just be charging rape. I mean, it's another one of these girls get drunk and then have regrets about consenting to sex and say, oh, well, I was drunk, and so therefore I couldn't consent. Uh, sorry, you know what? That uh, Nobody's buying that anymore. All right? You shouldn't have got drunk. If that's the case, I don't know if that's the case. But this whole thing about, oh, he gets to go because, well, he, he needs to have a good life. Eh. Anyway, I'll be back again tonight at 8 p.m. Uh, Pacific time and uh, with you two hours on Monday night. So stay tuned, though, because we've got a full day coming up, uh, starting off next with, uh, well, continuing next with financial survival. And then more and more and more. So stay where you're at, and we'll be back uh, tonight. Thanks for listening. The political, religious, and medical views presented on various shows heard on American Voice Radio Network are not necessarily the views held by the management of American Voice Radio and are not presented as an endorsement by this network. All statements heard on American Voice Radio are the sole responsibility and opinion of those who speak the particular statement. Who 
prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, and Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971, when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm Melody Cedarstrom, and you're listening to Financial Survival. I'm here with my co-host, Stafford Addis, to bring you our opinion and commentary on today's economic and political events. Today is Monday, August 22nd, 2016. Good afternoon, Al. Hi, Melody. A lot of things to talk about today. A lot of things are going on, and uh, they're all good for gold, I do believe. And... uh, uh, but let's get started with the market report um, here in just a few moments. A little bit of pressure on gold today. Still holding uh, above that 1335, which is a very important number. So we're looking at uh, gold down three at 1339. Silver down 36 cents today at $19. Platinum was down nine at 1108. Palladium was down 19 at $695. The USDX today is trading a little bit stronger, 0.04 at 94.54. Crude oil down 147 at 46.81. Uh, the paper markets today, we have the Dow. So I'm watching the last few ticks come through. Uh, the numbers come through down 23 points, 18,529. The NASDAQ was up 6, 52.44. The S&P basically unchanged, 2182. 10-year yield, 1.54%, down 0.04. The euro is 113 and just a mixed bag in the European and Asian markets. So a very quiet uh, day in trade. Um, things moved and stayed there, although the Dow was down 
much more than the 23 points um, as it clawed its way back to some degree. And again, we have the Wyoming-Jackson Hole meeting this week uh, with the central bankers and all the movers and shakers of um, that control your purchasing power. That allegedly control. <laughs> they try. They, yeah, they, they create the illusion of control. They claim to control. <laughs> but there's just an incredible growing doubt that you know, these people aren't in control. They don't know what the heck, what's going on here. And it's become... It's becoming it's something we've talked about on this program for a year anyway. And it's becoming more mainstream. They said, I don't think the Fed can do anything. Well, they can't, but the point is that the Dow's at 18,000. There is still a little bit of control out there. You know, the things aren't, it's, it's not, uh, you know, it's uh, not meltdown. When it's a meltdown, they have lost control. Well, the, other, the, other, the only control they seem to have, if they have any at all, is they have these meetings every so often, and then they say something. And everybody goes, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh. The oracles up there at the Federal Reserve have read the tea leaves or the bones or something like that, wow. and they've made a statement. And everybody, oh, my gosh, the people jump and holler them. and panic. I'm not it's, giving, just, it's not control. It's just I'm not giving them. I'm not giving them gold stars. But, you know, you have to give them a little bit, and I'm not praising them. And when I say by giving them credit, yeah, they have destroyed, they've destroyed this country, Wall Street, our government, by the fiat currency. They've taken away our liberties and our rights. They destroyed our purchasing power. Yeah, no, I, I'm not happy with them at all. However, they have been able to create and, and bring back the illusion that things are good. I mean, you have the Dow at 18,000. We know why, but it still it gives the illusion, and you're right. But until we're in actual quote-unquote meltdown, yeah, I mean, they've, you know, the, you know they, they certainly are out of stimulus. You know, they bailed out all the ones that had to be bailed out. Uh, uh, do I agree with that? Of course not. We'd be far better off today if they would have left those, uh, the two bigs to fail, fail. We'd be in much better position today. We, we and, and that's, you know, but they're going to keep printing. They're going to keep doing whatever stimulus they can. They're going to keep doing whatever they, they can do just to keep this little bit of norm going. And so when, the, when they do lose final control, Katie bar the door. And it was interesting because Germany, I think you saw the same thing. Germany came out today to tell its people to stockpile food and water for the first time since the end of the Cold War. The German government told its citizens to stockpile just in case of an attack or some or sort of, catastrophe. Or a catastrophe. Mm-hmm. Um, Germany is currently on high alert after two Islamist uh, attacks and a shooting uh, by a mentally unstable teenager. And over the weekend, I guess Turkey, terrible thing at a wedding. Uh, Fifty-some people were killed by a teenager, 12 to 14 years old, wearing a, a bomb belt. And that's um, just, man. I understand, but what's that got to do with an entire nation? Well, let me finish. They're supposed to be. I, was, I mean, you have these individual events, but they're anticipating something that something is going major. to affect the entire nation of Germany. Yeah. And they're saying you need to stockpile food to last for 10 days. And they said people would be required to stockpile enough drinking water for five days. 
Now, what kind? They don't have hurricanes. They don't have tornadoes. I don't know. I don't think they have any any earthquakes to speak of in Germany. This isn't going to be a natural disaster. Plus, it's only going to last for five or ten days. And they say in the article here, they say that uh, they don't anticipate an attack on Germany's territory. They don't see that as being likely. So we're not going to get stockpiled of food and water in case of a war. We're not stockpiling food and water in case of a natural catastrophe. So what is it? They say, however, the precautionary measures demand that the people prepare appropriately for a development. I don't say what the development is, but a development that could threaten our existence and cannot be categorically ruled out in the future. What kind of development are they talking about, Melody? I think the only thing that fits the bill, it's not a natural disaster. It's not an attack by an invasion by Russia or somebody. It sounds to me like it might be a bank holiday. It's only going to last five or ten days. A bank holiday where they shut down all the banks, couldn't get any money out of the bank, um, while they, what, changed currencies, reset the value, well, what are they going to do here? I mean, I don't know that that's the answer, but this is, what is this? What is this development? And that's what they said, a development, a possible development. <clears throat> Joseph Stiglitz, he's a Nobel Prize winning economist. He said that Europe is heading toward a cataclysmic event that could lead to the collapse of the euro and the end of the European project okay. as we know it. He had an interview with Business Insider, and he argues that the European single currency uh, would uh, inevitably cease to be at some point in the future unless drastic changes are, ma- are made. Now, what he's doing, he's pointing toward Italy as being the catalyst uh, of the problems, that Italy could be the trigger uh, for such an event, um, that it is a big risk. Uh, people are trying to work with Italy's prime minister. Uh, they want him to, to resign and climb down from his commitment that he will, you know, he's putting through a referendum, you know, and we all know their their banks, um, their, their oldest bank in the country is just about ready to go belly up. They've had um, in April, uh, the country's uh, financial sector, um, I mean, they're plagued by an enormous amount of bad loans um, that the government in April forced, was forced into uh, rallying bank executives, insurers, investors to put about $5.57, about $5.5 billion behind a rescue fund for its weakest bank. You have J.P. Morgan, Deutsche Bank, HSBC at the end of uh, July uh, they agreed to a rescue package uh, for the Monte Dei Pachi di Siena, the world's oldest bank. Um, so, yeah, Italy has some major problems. So um, perhaps that is the uh, – Stiglitz goes on and he talks about uh, um, how the um, – it used to be the bondholders that used to take a lot of the – that would take the losses, but now they're really going after the depositors. And he expects something perhaps like Cyprus. And uh, he thinks Cyprus was a bad idea. He says, but this is what you're seeing as far as uh, Italy and, and their banks. So, yeah, 
Uh, that's um, consistent with my speculation of what they're anticipating, what Germany's anticipating. Say, look, you're going to need five or ten days worth of food and water. Well, yeah, we know Italy. I mean, we know the European zone isn't healthy. I mean, Financial my gosh, problem. we haven't seen, heard of Greece. Problem. You know, Greece is, uh, you know, a baby compared to Italy. And so. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's it's triviality, practically. And and yet, as small as Greece is, it has still been treated as if it would be sufficient if it went bankrupt to mm-hmm. perhaps crash the European uh, monetary system. I mean, they have all they had to do is just say, fine, just let them file for bankruptcy and be done with it. And leave them alone. Let them, you know, wander around in their own squalor. They have fought to keep Greece online to to at least promise that it's going to pay its remaining debt and let that debt be deemed to be a performing debt, and and therefore they don't have to write it off their books. Um, I think that's been their fundamental motive: is can't let Greece write off any more of its debt, so they can't let them file for bankruptcy. And Greece is relatively small. In theory, if Greece filed for bankruptcy, might have toppled the whole system. I don't know that that's true, but I, spe- I speculate that it might be. But if it's true, the little Greece could topple the whole system. Then it probably has to be true that Italy, which is, I don't know, something like, it's in the top ten economies mm-hmm. of the world, if I understand mm-hmm. correctly, might be something like fifth or seventh, something like that. Um, if they go under... They could take the whole European Union with them. Um, at least that would be a legitimate concern. So, so it's you know, anyway. It's just interesting. Germany's telling people stock up for, on food and water enough to last for say two weeks. Our government tells us to get duct tape. <laughs> get duct tape. Anyway, that was. Anyway, that was after nine eleven, but eleven. If anybody remembers, you know, we were told. No, I that, don't. We were that told. Was before my we were time. told to get duct tape. Well, you're just old. That was before you're my time. Old. You're just old. No, that was remember. before my time, Melody. I'm not that old. So. Here's this. Uh, here's an interesting article. It's about India. You, you don't hear much about India, and uh, it's uh, about their new central bank chief. Maybe this is something our own Federal Reserve and government should follow, but Patel. The incoming central bank chief has every intention of taking away the bank's 100 billion pacifiers. Instead of just sitting there waiting for the government to give them more mother's milk, this is from the article, I think it was a Forbes article, um, they can start using their smarts and their risk calculators to earn that money for themselves. And it's like, yeah, you know what? It's a you know, you know, we we think of socialism just for the people, but you know, look at all these, you know, the corporate welfare and everything, and the banker welfare socialists. And he said, this article goes on and says it's going to be a messy fight. Uh, but if Patel's own research is any guide, it's safe to assume that sometime after his elevation to Reserve Bank of India governor early next month, uh, and he's Oxford and Yale educated economist. He's going to uh, make an attempt to take his predecessor. Thank you. (laughs) It's one of those days. Against the nation's uh, state-dominated, bad loan-plagued 
banking system to its logical conclusion. So he's telling them to get off your butts, uh, get to work, figure it out. Um, you know, I'm going to cut off the funds coming to you and uh, deal with the bad loans. And, uh, you know, it's... Uh, How will they deal with them, though? I mean, that's the problem in a debt-based monetary system and a debt-based a, a debt-based economy. How do you deal with bad loans? You have to write them off. Got to write when them you off. do, you write off the correlative the correlative assets, the paper assets, the bonds, and the rest that they become worthless. If those bonds are sitting in a bank that has fractional reserve banking, they have, they've got a million dollars worth of bonds sitting in the bank. And here in the United States, they can in theory lend out nine million dollars worth of worth of uh, consumer loans. If that one million dollars that they're holding in the government that they're holding in the bank vault. A U.S. government bond, if that turns out, if, if the government can't pay the debt, the bond becomes worthless. And in theory, they have to pull in $9 million uh, from consumers that have been loaned out. They say, okay, they've got to cancel loan, bring the money back. Uh, there's a multiplier effect. This, this fractional reserve banking works great when the system is improving and everybody's everybody's getting rich and they're making more and more money and, and it seems like you found the money tree and it is multiplying right in front of your eyes but if things go badly all of a sudden it divides right in front of your eyes and the same forces that work for you to make you rich will work against you to make you poor and impoverished and they're caught in well, a situation they can't get rid of the debt well, I mean, this guy has three years to persuade the, the prime minister um, that the socialist era has passed. I mean, you either go down the same path or you have to start making changes or you just that's those are your three choices. You, you try to f correct things. You work and try to, you know, get these businesses to, to where they start functioning on their own, except for the hand, except for waiting for handouts, you know, keeping these rates low and everything. They can just let it collapse. You know, I guess it's two things. Yeah, you, know, you either you either work on it, you go as is. Yeah, I agree that something's got to be done, and I don't going mind. Something's going to break. Something's going to break. Oh, that's exactly right. And what's going to break is your debt-based monetary system, in my opinion. That whole thing's going to blow up. And when it does, people are going to have to go back and say, uh "Oh, we're going to have to start using gold or silver." Now, maybe they're going to try special drawing rights or whatever, um, but I don't think anything's going to work. Once the fiat monetary system fails and people understand why it failed, I think they're going to demand gold, silver, some sort of a tangible backing for currency. And uh, all right, then, we, then we get back to perhaps something like normal or something like prosperity or something like reason. But uh, as it stands, they can't admit they're wrong. It's like the Federal Reserve. They, they, they can't admit that the fundamental problem is fiat currency because that's all they do is provide fiat currency. If they have to admit that fiat currency is toxic to the economy and to the nation, then the, then the Federal Reserve itself is toxic. They can't admit the truth without condemning themselves. And so they proceed as if this is some mystery. Gee, I have no idea. We're trying and everything we can to run the economy and manage the economy and stimulate the economy and doesn't and none of our none of our attempts succeed and we have no idea why it's a mystery it's not a mystery 
Your product is toxic, and it's Federal Reserve notes. Let's take a break for some commercials. Melody and I will be right back on Financial Survival. Please stay tuned. obligations or relationship problems have you feeling stressed out when life is too much to handle use apothecary herbs emotional stress formula feel calm and more in control with herbs especially combined to provide the organic nutrition your system needs to help you cope complete instructions for maximum benefit and a money-back guarantee you've waited long enough call apothecary herbs now toll free 866-229-3663 that's 866-229-3663. International callers dial 704-875-8010 or order online at the 3 wsthepowerherbscom Since the beginning of the United States, kings have sought it, nations have fought for it, It has been traded, borrowed, purchased, and stolen. There is a reason for it. To secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, invest with the security of gold and silver. Call Discount Gold and Silver Trading at 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Listen to Financial Survival with your host, Melody Cedarstrom, on American Voice Radio Network and Shortwave Radio. Visit DiscountGoldAndSilverTrading.net or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. For the very best in gold and silver trading, call toll-free 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Call now. I'm Alfred Adask here with Melody Searstrom on Financial Survival, brought to you by Discount Gold and Silver. What's next, Melody? Uh, we, yes, we have a little special here at Discount Gold and Silver for the week. It's a half ounce, one half ounce American Gold Eagle and a $20 face value of 90% silver. We're up and up, we're upping the gold coin from a one-tenth ounce uh, from last week to a one-half ounce. American Gold Eagle, $20 face value of 90% silver. It's going to be a mixed bag of, of uh, quarters and dimes. And that total package is $1,040. That includes all your shipping and insurance costs. So it's a great little package. So give us a call at 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. 
88. We talk about Obamacare. And, you know, we have the time of the year where the exchange, the insurance exchanges open up. Um, people can find out what their new rates are going to be. So in a few months, you're going to have a lot of millions of people shopping on these insurance exchanges. And what they're going to find out, according to the latest uh, data, insurers have requested average rate hikes of nearly 24%. Those that regulators have already approved, the average 17%. And notification of these increases for 2017, uh, people are going to get those in the mailboxes. But there was, I could have sworn I saw something where the rate hikes, um, residents of some states, they can look upon a 24% hike as a bargain. Arizona's, we know that uh, two of their uh, largest insurers, Blue Cross Blue Shield and Phoenix Health Plans, they're asking for rate hikes of over 60%. And these two companies... 60%. 60%. The two companies cover 88% of the state's exchange customers. Blue Cross Blue Shield of Tennessee which covers 73% of that state's exchange customers, they're requesting a 63% premium increase. Those people like, are either they're either crazy or desperate. Well, when you look at, uh, well, you know, if you look at Arizona, you know, you do have a lot of, you know, it, it's on the border. And I would think that you have a lot of folks there that, you know, get a lot. There's probably a lot of subsidies coming out of Arizona along with Tennessee. I don't know, but I would think that's why they would have to ask for a large. You're suggesting that there are a lot of illegal aliens. I'm not saying illegal aliens. I'm just talking about people who can't afford insurance. If you sign up for it, you get it. I mean, I heard of premiums where people pay a buck. Well, that that premium has to be subsidized by somebody. No, no. So, no, you don't have to be an illegal alien. It's just people who don't make enough money to pay for their own insurance or they get a, you know, their own disability or something. So, yeah, that's... I saw an article today. I saw an article today that quoted Texas Governor Greg Abbott uh, speaking about Obamacare and essentially saying, look, this thing is in a debt spiral. It's going down. Mm -hmm. It's not going to last. And I don't, I'm not sure how long it is. I, I, I can't tell you how long it will last, but it certainly looks as if this is dying. It's fracturing. Corporations are bailing out, saying we're not we're not going to deal with this anymore. Some of them, uh, they are cutting back their their exchange, yeah. their participation in exchange from a dozen or fifteen states oh, no. to four states. Uh, no. they are collapsing. Sixteen of 23 state-sponsored co-op health plans created by Obamacare have failed. Yeah. I mean, they're just failing. And then you do. You have the largest. You have the United Health, the third largest, Aetna. I think Humana, they're fleeing. They're, they're, they're closing down their exchanges. And Aetna, I talked about Aetna last week. There's a little bit more involved in there than just, you know, we're not making any money because they were doing that merger. And then the 
um, you know, you know, they're basically blackmailing the government because the government didn't want them to merge. So they said, fine, <laughs> we're going to close our exchanges then. Uh-huh. You know, so there's a little bit more to it than that. But uh, still, uh, hey, pe- people can't afford these. So they have a choice. Are you going to pay the penalty or, or, or pay a 600 or, or 60% increase? Well, you know what? $695 isn't uh, that's sad when that's lower than a health insurance premium. Six hundred ninety-five for what? I don't understand. The penalty. Oh, the penalty. People can decide whether they're going to pay a penalty of the greater of six hundred ninety-five dollars, or but they've got to give the money, the government, some money. Yeah. Either way, you either, either give way. it a lot of money or you give it a little money. Now, which would you is, rather it's, give? Them? It's sad that six hundred ninety-five dollars can't cover an insurance policy. Well, you know, it could. Part of the reason we have this problem is because they actually regulate and restrict access to health care. Uh, we, we operate under the assumption that the only people who can provide health care are physicians who've gone to medical school and graduated by the time they were 25 years old or whatever. Um, well, there are nurses, I know, that are competent to deal with probably 80% of the problems that you that the average person encounters and we're going to go down oh, oh, get the wife get the kids get whatever and go down to the local uh uh health care facility right? you don't necessarily need a licensed doctor who's gone through you know endless endless education to deal with everything that happens and if the licensing requirements is oh yeah it's all got to go through these through the uh through the doctors let's let some nurses do it right there are people who are trained, you know, there are people who are trained to do medical procedures while they were in the military. Corpsmen, first aidmen, you know. And they come back, they know something about medicine. They can deal with a lot of the problems. And if you remove, I'm not saying remove, but if you minimize the requirement for dealing with someone who went to school until they were 25 years old, they've got a bunch of money to pay off. Uh, they've got debts to pay off, and they didn't go into medicine just to heal people. They went into medicine to try to make a buck. Well, set them back to the side and let the free market solve some of these problems. I'm not saying it's a perfect solution, but as a practical matter, you're going to have to choose between either getting the health care you can afford or getting no health care at all. And if all you can afford is some guy who spent two years in, in uh, Iraq as a Marine corpsman, all right, that's what I can afford. He knows how to put a splint on a broken arm. All right, he can do something for us. He can do first aid and whatever. Uh, if that's all you can afford, well, then the government has to let you have what you can afford. And let the free market solve this rather than the government. The government says, to heck with that. They want to solve everything, and they don't believe the free market should solve anything. Many years ago, I can remember your communities, your little towns. They'd have community hospitals mm-hmm. you know, for people who didn't have insurance. If you didn't have insurance, for whatever reason, that's where you went. I mean, you know, if you if you needed to, you know, to be hospitalized. But uh, you know, so, but you don't have those anymore because they they became profit orientated. Yeah. So you know, they yeah. became uh, you know they became businesses rather than 
rather than the he used to have, you medical know, facilities. You know, various, you know, the Catholic Church was big on health care. And, you know, you, you would have a wide range of doctors. You could go to any town and find a, a doctor that didn't, you know, cut your arm off to pay for it. I mean, he, he was usually an older doctor that was just... <laughs> You know, he could cure, you know, he'd give you something for mm. a call. And you used to know who they were. Yeah. You know, if you were had something serious, you knew where to go to get that situation taken care of. Now you're controlled um, by the insurance companies, by the, mainly the insurance companies. You're controlled by who you can see, when you can see it, and how you can see it. You know, and then you have to get approved. You know, it's, it's... And what if you don't? Follow every one of those procedural steps. Yeah, you're 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 you'll you're get out of luck. sued. Not just out of luck. You'll no, get sued just... if you're a doctor. You'll get sued into oblivion if you're the doctor, the hospital, whatever. Part of the problem we have with the medical system is that it is it's been damaged. And I'm not here to defend doctors per se, but it's been damaged by the legal system. They've been forced. I can remember as a child. All right. This is back in the old days when they had wooden wheels and that sort of thing. My sister and I would have tonsillitis <laughs> just about every winter when we were kids. And Dr. Gladstone would drive all the way from McHenry up in Illinois to our home in Crystal Lake, which is 15, 20 miles, I don't know. And he'd drive, make that 20-mile trip to come down and give us a shot of penicillin or whatever, and he'd show up with a little black bag. All right. Now, doctors are afraid to move without all this testing equipment. They can't just operate out of a little black bag anymore. They've got to use all of this equipment to hook you up, wire you up, monitor whatever's going on, do the tests and more tests and tests after that in order to determine what the problem is. I admit, you know, it may be that all these tests serve a good purpose. I don't, I don't doubt that they're beneficial. Maybe we're getting too many of them, and we're getting them not because we need, not because they're part of medical care so much as they're part of legal defense, which all adds to the cost. And uh, now we have people who can't afford, can't afford doctors. Therefore, we have to have Obamacare to help people that are too poor to afford to. They can't, they can't afford a medical system that we have right now. Somewhere along the line, the government's got to step back, and we also have to step back, and we have to stop suing everybody. I mean, it's almost like, gee, if I could only catch, if I could only go to the hospital and catch pneumonia, then I could really clean up by suing them. You can't just go to the hospital and make a buck, and the hospital can't operate just to make a buck. I know everybody has to get paid, but... There are imbalances here that lead to problems, and the problems ultimately manifest in the form of Obamacare, which leads to more problems. Where do we go? I think you're going to have to take a course in first aid yourself, Melody. Before it's done, you're going to have to get a book on first aid or something on the Internet or whatever where you learn how to do first aid, how to diagnose your own problems. Perhaps. Maybe. But, um, yeah, it certainly is. Um, so be prepared, folks, for your health insurance premiums to rise next year. Yeah, I know. They're going to have somebody standing there with one of those little those, uh, needles. Of this. They've got this. Everyone has probably seen the picture of this big black guy next to Hillary Clinton carrying 
some sort of a needle that injects. Uh, if you have a if you have a seizure, I just give you get you in the thigh or wherever and give you a fast injection and it puts off the seizure. That's reportedly what's going on. Wherever they give you the news that oops, your premium is going up by 24% or maybe even 60%. 60%. They should have people on staff right there that have these that have these devices where they're able to give you a jab, jab you with a needle in the thigh well, there's, to prevent there's, you from going into mm-hmm. seizure. Well, there's something else. Uh, we have an article here about the high cost of burials. Yeah, yeah that's another it, one. Yeah, and so again, it's but things are just continuing to get more and more expensive. And um, yeah, the high cost of burials forcing American families to donate their dead relatives to medical schools. Mm-hmm. See, if Aunt Mary, she dies. Now, it, it explains that the average cost of funerals in this country are running between eight and ten thousand dollars. And if you're on the hook for parent for paying Aunt Mary's funeral, well, maybe we don't actually have to give her a funeral. Maybe we could just donate her carcass to a medical school. I don't think you've paid anything, but they will use her. They will use her body for oh, teaching students on anatomy and whatever. Um, and it will you'll save yourself eight or ten thousand dollars. And the article is uh, what was this from? Natural News. Yeah, Natural News. Um, just saying this is a now a viable alternative. You don't need to go pick out a headstone. You don't need to go pick out a casket. All you've got to pick out is a medical school where you can donate the uh, the corpse of your dearly departed and save yourself eight or $10,000. Well, this is the kind of thing that you look at, and it's just evidence of how bizarre our system has become. There is something wrong here when people can't even afford to bury their dead. There is something happening when too many people are too greedy. Too many people are getting away, are, are, thanks, to, I think, to government regulation. Public's not subject. We don't have the free market to keep morticians in line. Right? There are enough regulations. It's so hard to... There's a time when you could be an undertaker. If you want to be an undertaker, be an undertaker. If you wanted to be a lawyer, be a lawyer. All right? If you wanted to be a doctor, you could take a course on it by mail. All right? And hang out a shingle. You might not you might be a sawbones, you might not be the best doctor the world ever saw, but you could provide services at a price your neighbors could afford. Now it's a situation of how much can you get? How much can you make? And every single Every step of the way, they have people billing you for a buck or two for an aspirin. No, and they can justify this one way or another, and yet it's not right. We can't just work on the basis of some people get to live large, have a home on the country club, on the golf course. You can't just do that. Somewhere along the line, you just got to accept the fact that you can't get fabulously wealthy at other people's expense. We have a mindset that that denies that possibility right now. No, get all you can and heck with the rest of them. Well, it won't last. And it will contribute to a difficult and painful reset 
and we're perhaps headed there who knows when, but in the near future. Let's take a break for some commercials. Melody and I will be right back. Please stay tuned. Aspirin mistake. Aspirin was discovered by mistake during World War II and suppresses your immune system and prevents blood clotting. Don't expose your body to risk when you can use a natural inflammation and pain reliever called Extra Strength Pain Relief by Apothecary Herbs. Discover the power this formula has with salicin to enter the system in 60 seconds to work hard and relieve pain for 12 hours. Whether it's arthritis, sports injury, or flu, you can relieve aches, pain, and swelling with our Extra Strength Pain Relief Formula. Call Apothecary Herbs now, toll-free, 866-229-3663. That's 866-229-3663. International callers dial 704-875-8010 or order online at the 3 wsthepowerherbscom Prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, and Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971, when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. Alfred Adisk, this is Financial Survival. I'm here with Melody Cedarstrom, and an article here on Fed's new Facebook friends slam central bank for monetary enslavement and currency destruction. This is that's the headline from Market Watch. In the text, it says in part the Federal Reserve on Thursday added Facebook to its growing social media arsenal with the aim of increasing the accessibility and availability of the central bank through press releases, speeches, testimony, frequently asked questions, and other internet-y stuff. That may be the intent, but so far it's serving more as a sounding board for frustrated masses in the market uh, for some virtual catharsis. Of course, you probably won't need a bunch of salivating cyber trolls to tell you 
there's an uneasy relationship between the public and the Fed. But here are some of the top responses that are going up on the Fed's uh, Facebook uh, uh, page. Stephen Kennedy, he says, quick question. I'm a newbie at this, but I'm trying to take over a country through monetary enslavement and currency destruction. Any pointers? Mike Meharry, he said, see, this is the problem. A bunch of arrogant suits who think they're smart enough to run the, an, an economy. No group of people has the knowledge to manage the economy. Only a fool would think so. There's third one, Nicholas Wilson. You people are owned by the Rothschilds, and you attempt to act like you're part of the government. I'm sure you check under your bed every single night to make sure Ron Paul isn't there pushing for an audit of your corrupt organization. <clears throat> They go on and they say hundreds upon hundreds of rants filed up over the weekend. And perhaps in the spirit of transparency, the Fed has allowed them to remain, at least for now. <clears throat> the point here is that by allowing, by establishing a Facebook page for the Fed, they're getting some real feedback from the public. And at least a sizable percentage of the public is angry at the Fed. I would say that 20 years ago, people wouldn't know what to think about the Federal Reserve, generally speaking. Today, there's a substantial portion of the public that is angry at the Fed. And the Fed should pay attention to this. Because sooner or later, these people, the Fed can keep on smiling and grinning and, and pumping smoke and, and shining mirrors at us and the rest of it. But sooner or later, the public is going to have its way in this matter, even if its way is foolish and short-sighted. And the Fed is increasingly perceived as something of a villain. And I don't think that perception is entirely wrong. They are instrumental in feeding us a fiat currency. They're instrumental in deceiving us into thinking that worthless pieces of paper can be used just as easily for money as gold or silver coin. And the truth is they can't. Uh, there is a problem, and people are sensing this, and they're beginning to look at the Fed and say, you guys, you're the bad guys. We're going to do something about this, although it might be several years before anything meaningful happens, or it might be, who knows, six months might happen in the first quarter next year. It's hard to say, but the Fed can't count on public support right now. And if we can't, and if the public isn't going to support the Fed, and they are vocal about disparaging the Fed, then the Fed probably can't count on the support of politicians either. How many politicians are going to come to the front and say, well, I'm in favor of the Federal Reserve, and I think we need to take more taxpayer money to support the Federal Reserve? Who's going to do that? If there's growing animosity between the public and the Federal Reserve. So this is just another leaf in the breeze that points to a, a time when the Federal Reserve is going to be in, in peril. And with it, the fiat dollar will also be in peril. And insofar as that's true, people are going to look even more fondly on gold. Like I said, this is what I want. I want some gold coins. I do not want more of this Federal Reserve paper. So we'll watch and see, but it's an interesting to me. It's the feedback they're getting on the Facebook uh, page for, this, for the Federal Reserve 
indicates that there's a problem here. And on top of everything else, it's not just a question of growing animosity. It's a question of growing awareness. You know, we talk about some of the, some of the principles and theories as to what, what real money is, what the Fed has been doing with fiat currency, and how we're going to be we're going to suffer a great problem when the debt, when they finally admit the debt can't be paid. First of all, all of this can be traced in large measure to the Federal Reserve. There are people, there was a time when you could talk about these things and virtually no one in the room had any idea of what you're talking about. That time is gone. Everybody's got a clue. There's something wrong with the Federal Reserve. They may not be able to articulate it. They may not be able to specify this is what's wrong. But everybody, almost everyone, understands there's a problem over there where they have the Federal Reserve. <clears throat> that is evidence of a kind of sea change in the body politic where we are beginning to understand who some of our greatest adversaries may be. And the Federal Reserve may fall into that category. Um, so you know, the whole world is getting like this. We see the government used to be protected by the mainstream media. And it was difficult for us to perceive who the bad guys were. The mainstream media still seeks to protect the government, but we have this alternative media on the Internet where you can find out who the bad guys are, get, get a pretty good get pretty good indication of who they are. It's available. The information's available, and some people are getting angry about it. I don't think that bodes well for the Federal Reserve, nor does it bode well for the fiat dollar. What's next, Melody? Well, I just wanted to say I wonder how long it will be before Facebook eliminates those comments, you know, because they, you know, we all know how they, you know, you start putting comments and all of a sudden you're deleted and, and so forth. But uh, so it's, well, that was the close of the article that said the, you know, the Fed has allowed the, the comments to remain for now. Well, it's Facebook. I mean, it's known that Facebook goes and anything about Donald Trump or anything, boy, oh boy, they'll, they'll clean your account <laughs> and uh, so forth. So, Yes, good old Facebook. But um, anyway. Got another one here from Business Insider. And it says the next big consensus view in economics has arrived. That's the headline. It says for years following the financial crisis, policymakers around the world sought to follow the post crisis response endorsed by the International Monetary Fund of reducing debt burdens to ease the stress of recession on various economies. Well, I look at this, reducing debt burdens, where did that happen? I didn't see that happen. Debt has gone up and up and continues to be up, and so great that it can't be paid, ever. So I don't see that there have been a serious attempt to reduce debt burdens. But it says this mostly involves cutting government spending and raising taxes. This is known as austerity. All right, this is what they had in Greece. Government could stop providing benefits and increase taxes. Austerity. Analysts at the Bank of America, Merrill Lynch, summarized the case for fiscal stimulus. All right, fiscal stimulus is stimulus is provided by the government. Monetary stimulus is stimulus provided by the, Fed, the, the Federal Reserve and Central Bank. 
Okay. And analysts at the Bank of America, Merrill Lynch, summarized the case for fiscal stimulus and which country could still have some time to go before they jump on the fiscal stimulus bandwagon. Bank of America, um, uh, Merrill Lynch, their overview, the global consensus view, got this, uh, got this point uh, uh, said this point is important to keep in mind as we begin working through the implications of what it means uh, when people who Paul Krugman would call very serious people all start agreeing that fiscal stimulus is a good thing. So this is the idea behind this article. We have relied up until now, or at least recently, we have relied on monetary policy from the Federal Reserve to get us out of the Great Recession, which started back in 2008-2009. And the Federal Reserve has attempted to print the currency and keep interest rates low, and supposedly that was going to help bring us out of the recession and, and cause a recovery, but it didn't work. The central bank's monetary policy did not succeed in restoring the economy to full strength. And for the last year, the Federal Reserve and other central banks have been complaining they've done everything they can do. There's nothing more. And they're admitting there's nothing else. They have nothing else that works, and they don't want to do any more, perhaps because they're always, they've increased their own debt so greatly they may be on the verge of some sort of a they may be vulnerable to some sort of collapse. And they say the next step has got to be fiscal. We've got to have a fiscal policy from government, and the government's now up to them, the government to save us. This is allegedly the next big thing. Federal banks, again, and uh, Central Reserve, they've complained for the last six, 12 months there's nothing more they can do to stimulate U.S. and global economies. Central banks are insisting that whatever additional stimulus is needed, it must come from the government's fiscal policies. But if governments agree to stimulate the economy with fiscal policy, that should mean increased government spending and lowered taxes. Where will the currency come from for the government to spend if the government is spending more and taxing less? How's that going to work out? How the governments, and, and the answer, of course, is that government has to borrow more. If they're going to spend more to stimulate the economy, but they're not going to tax more, which would slow the economy down, then they have to borrow more. But more borrowing means a bigger national debt and raises the question of who will lend more currency to the government that's already overly indebted uh, and, and so overly indebted that it can't hope to ever repay its existing debt in full. It's going to keep lending money to the government. For the past five or, years, five or six years, uh, the answer to that question has been and will continue to be the Federal Reserve. Thus, the Federal Reserve is trying to dump responsibility for stimulating on the government. But the only way the government can stimulate the economy is to print bonds and sell them at full face value to the Federal Reserve. And the point here is that as the lender of last resort... As the world's number one printer of fiat dollars, Federal Reserve can't evade responsibility for trying to provide more economic stimulus. The government can't make a move. The Fed is saying, we can't do anything. We can't, we can't help anymore. But the government can't do anything if, if it raises taxes, it slows the economy. The only way the government can stimulate the economy is by borrowing money and the only entity likely to lend money in large quantities to the government is the Federal Reserve.
So it's all about the money, Melody. And so far as the Federal Reserve is the ultimate printer of fiat dollars, and more fiat dollars are needed to stimulate the economy, the Fed can't escape liability for the recession, depression, and or weak recovery. First implication, the Federal Reserve and the fiat dollar might be vulnerable to being destroyed if the economy doesn't pick up steam. And the second implication is if the Federal Reserve and fiat dollar are both vulnerable to destruction, if the economy can't be stimulated, it follows that the value of physical gold should rise dramatically if the economy can't be stimulated into a recovery. Uh, so, uh, the point, I guess, here is federal, the Federal Reserve and other central banks say there's nothing more we can do. Monetary policy won't save the world. The only thing that will work now is fiscal policy, but the government can't employ. How many governments can engage in fiscal policy, which includes spending more without borrowing more? And who's going to lend them any money other than the Federal Reserve and that will only add to whatever problems the Federal Reserve already has. We are caught in a kind of vicious cycle. We're caught in a situation where there's no place to turn, nowhere to run. We can stall for a while. We can kick the can. We've been kicking the can down the road for the last seven, eight years. And we've had great success at kicking the can down the road so far. But we're going to come to end. It's going to be, there's going to be a moment where finally we can't afford, we can't, we won't be able to avoid dealing with and confronting reality. And that reality, in my opinion, is first, the debt is too big to ever be repaid. And second, we are caught in this debt-based fiat monetary system that leads every nation that's ever tried anything like it, leads them to destruction. We're going to get that. We're going to have, I don't mean the nation will be destroyed, but it will be depressed and seriously depressed for a considerable period of time. We're out of time, Melody. I want to thank everybody for listening to the program. Melody and I will be back tomorrow. In the meantime, the Lord bless you, me, Melody, and Frank, the producer. Bye-bye. and medical views presented on various shows heard on American Voice Radio Network are not necessarily the views held by the management of American Voice Radio and are not presented as an endorsement by this network. All statements heard on American Voice Radio are the sole responsibility and opinion of those who speak the particular statement.
countries have denied Internet access for their people during civil strife. The FCC seized in-use commercial shortwave frequencies right after the September 11th attacks. No one communication system can be dependent on to be there when you need information. You need choices. You need a KU band free-to-air satellite system from AVR. The AVR system includes a receiver, an LNB, and a 75-centimeter dish. All you need to get on your own is the coaxial cable. The system is delivered to your door for $149.99. That's right, delivered for $149.99. That's the shipping and the system, $149.99. Call 541-225-4659. That's 541-225-4659. Or visit AmericanVoiceRadio.com and click Satellite System. cell phone for business or staying in touch with family, your cell phone use is increasing. Use the Wave Shield, developed for ultimate cellular protection. The Wave Shield blocks, reduces, and deflects up to 97% of the radiation from entering the soft tissue of your ear. The Wave Shield, made of a patented mesh material, is proven and tested to block radiation without affecting reception. Order your Wave Shield today for only $19.95. Did he just say $19.95? Hey, times are tough, so American Voice Radio Network is cutting the price to $17.95. That's right, $17.95 plus mailing. You can protect yourself, family, and friends from cell phone danger to your inner ear. $17.95 at TheAmericanVoice.com. That's the superstore at TheAmericanVoice.com. $17.95 plus mailing. Order now. What makes deep sea salt from France so different? Up from the ocean depths in the south of France flow undersea rivers of pristine sea water. At high tide, the prepared salt ponds are filled with this water. Over spring and summer, processed only by ocean breezes and sunshine, the brine thickens and salt crystals float to the top. These are harvested with nets and deposited on wooden drainage flats to dry. The salt is then gathered up, packaged, and shipped around the world. This salt is much more than a box of lifeless sodium chloride. Soldiers worth their salt were once paid with this valuable commodity. It contains 78 to 84 balancing elements. This is living salt, and once you have tasted it, you will never go back to anything else. I've seen this salt in gourmet shops for $30 a pound. Get it now at 4spectrum.us for under $8 a pound. Order 10 pounds and enter the coupon code AVRSALT at checkout and save $20. Ships free to your door or call 800-581-8906. Order today. Fighting soldiers from the sky Fearless men who jump and die Men who mean just what they say The brave men of the Green Beret Silver wings upon their chest These are men America's best 100 men will test today but only three when the Green Beret train to live off nature's land trained in combat hand to hand men who fight by night and day 
on their chest. These are men, America's best. One hundred men will test today. But only three win the Green Beret. Back at home, a young wife waits. Her Green Beret has met his fate. He has died for those oppressed, leaving her this last request. What silver wings on my son's chest make him one? means wormwood in Russian 
And, of course, there's a reference to wormwood in the Bible with reference to the end times. And uh, Chernobyl exploded, and they had to move like uh, 300,000 people. There was a nuclear cloud that went up, but uh, most of it fell uh, on Belarus and, and the, you know, in, in this area. There was some distribution of uh, nuclear uh, activity uh, in Europe, but not in the United States. Now, that is what has been called, that was a level seven, as I recall, uh, on the scale of nuclear disasters. Well, America has had, uh, you know, our own history of nuclear uh, disasters. And so, first of all... All right, guys. Uh, We were having trouble there. And uh, Frank has uh, thrown us a lifeline. We were talking about uh, nuclear problems. Of course, Obama has headed off for Brazil. And you'd think with uh, the bombing of Libya, we targeted uh, in the last 24 hours Gaddafi's palace, which uh, there's a part of it, uh, which there's a command center, and uh, there are civilians that support Gaddafi, uh, which um, children, women, men, uh, they file in and out. There's a part of the palace that is a museum. You know, Libya is quite a bit older than the United States, maybe not the dirt, uh, but uh, civilization. Anyway, uh, I'm if you... I uh, can't tell already, and absolutely, totally against uh, what we're doing. I think we've been suckered, and I notice uh, that the email you send me, uh, you're telling me the same thing, and I concur. Uh, so if you just have a short email, it's because I'm getting quite a few that say, Bo, uh, don't be fooled uh, like Obama And, you know, one thing that really makes me angry about uh, Obama and what is going on here is that rather than go to the United States Congress, what Obama has done is he went to the United Nations. Who is his boss, for crying out loud? And some uh, Democrats, it's kind of interesting, uh, you'd think, because uh, he is, of course, a Democrat. But uh, his own party is thinking, uh, threatening and talking about impeachment. But you see, Obama took care of that a long time ago when he chose Biden to be his vice president. Who in the world would want to see Biden come set in the Oval Office. I mean, we've rejected him twice, so Obama knew that he was on real thin ice, and so he's headed out uh, now that Japan is uh, in the midst of meltdown and that the United States, uh, here we are, uh, bombing Libya. And uh, when you look at it, Who are we supporting? Tell me, 
uh, can you? And email me. I'm very serious. I don't understand uh, what side we are supporting. We are apparently against, because Obama has said that, well, yes, we are going to comply with the uh, U.N., 1973 resolution, uh, and we're going to add one thing. Gaddafi must go. Let me, can I say to you that if you uh, do enough research, sort of like cleaning out from under your fingernails is all it takes, you find out that Gaddafi's friends and his contacts are the same people that Obama uh, had as friends and contacts. And so to me, uh, when I see America uh, being committed as a, as a nation and our armed forces, and I see that uh, you know, we've got uh, Gaddafi uh, as, a, as a target, and that we go to the United Nations instead of the U.S. Congress, it, it makes me wonder how close are we to becoming a USA Inc. And so I'm very uh, upset about uh, America because, you see, to you may say, well, Bo, uh, all we're trying to do is protect civilians. Right. And uh, do you understand, as a general staff officer, it automatically comes up uh, in my uh, mind that to uh, have a no-fly zone, what we actually must do is we have to take out uh, his airfields, we have to take out his air defense, we have to take out uh, his... Uh, 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 communication systems, and while we're doing all of this, we're taking out uh, civilians and non-combatants because we aren't using the tips of bayonets. This is not the U.S. Marine Corps going to Tripoli uh, the way it was in old time. We are using uh, massive uh, weapons of destruction huge bombs uh, that are very indiscriminate. And when they hit the ground, and we've been showing this over in Afghanistan. I mean, here uh, I reported to you on Friday, we killed uh, 35 uh, non-combatants. They were elders. It's like uh, you know, blowing up uh, your city council and your county council on top of it or maybe uh, blowing up your state legislature. And uh, one of the guys that we you know, took out, uh, he, he was a, uh, the, the head of uh, the whole area there. I mean, are we crazy? And then what uh, really gets to me is uh, there's, and I don't know if you've seen it uh, yet, but it's probably going to be available. This is uh, via ABC News. We have soldiers that uh, are being charged now, and the Army is aware of this. Uh, and a young uh, enlisted man, a corporal, 
has described, and he's done so, so that it's uh, on all of your television and computers. It's through YouTube. You can pick this up. ABC News uh, had the had the video, and here's this youngster, which I think he did right. But he is telling authorities how his sergeant murdered civilians in Afghanistan just for kicks and collected body parts. Now, friends, what? And as I've said before, if I sound a little desperate, it's because uh, my fuse has about burned out. What are we doing there? When you look at, and I know you say, oh, Bo, please don't say it again. Think of it. 4,800 tons of what they make heroin out of. And this comes out of a country like Afghanistan, 93% of the world's Heroin comes out of Afghanistan, which we have our little president, Karzai. In Egypt, we've got the CIA's man that ran a private prison for people that we uh, captured, and we couldn't bring them back to the United States. We didn't want to put them in Gitmo. Uh, They were controversial. But see, you can put them in a CIA prison in Egypt, and this guy can torture them. And, of course, when it comes up to uh, getting rid of the president, just like we're getting rid of Gaddafi, who goes in and replaces him? Well, in Egypt it is the CIA's man in Cairo. Who is going to replace Gaddafi? We are supporting, uh, it's like having a candidate with a bag over his head, saying, vote for this guy. You know, we are, as there's a, a poll that's out that is showing how dumb Americans are. And I agree with you. If you watch uh, Jay Leno at all, Uh, You'll see him uh, with his jaywalking, and it shows because they uh, will uh, ask people who are in graduate school and people who are going to medical school and uh, that are in law college, and they don't know how many uh, stars or stripes are on the United States uh, flag. They, They have no idea what the Taliban is. You know, for example, that's pretty hard to question, maybe. The point is, they don't know who Biden is, which is not a big deal either. But the point is, is that when we look at what we're doing from a world point of view, and we see that in Egypt we've got a CIA contracted uh, torture person. When you go back from Egypt and you look at Iran, the guy that we had running against Ahmadinejad was a man who, when the Ayatollah came in and the Shah uh, had to flee 
in Iran? Well, the prime minister for the Ayatollah Khomeini was a man who killed, was responsible for thousands of innocent dead. Anybody that supported uh, the Shah was toast. This is the guy that uh, our news broadcasters, ABC, CBS, NBC, CNN, all of these were saying, here is the green candidate. Here is the man who uh, loves uh, womanhood and is going to take care of the rights of the young people. And we actually uh, had a movement, the CIA, I'm sure, was paying for it, and America was supporting this murderer, just like America supports the murderer that we have uh, replaced in Egypt. We don't even know who the party is uh, who's running uh, these anarchists. What do they call themselves? The peace-loving people's uh, party of, uh, of, of Liberia or something? Libya? Tojo? Where of Togo? Where are we even at? And so uh, what I'm saying is that it is a sign of extreme weakness. And when the Democrats will even in Congress will be up in arms because their president doesn't have the sense to contact the United States Congress. You know, it's Congress that declares war. It's supposed to be. And the U.N., I'm so proud of the greatest generation. You remember that generation where they had women that were rolling up their sleeves and putting on the sweatbands, and, uh, you know, they call her Rosie the Riveter and this kind of stuff? The guys that uh, fought World War II. Well, before that, we had ourselves a Congress. We had ourselves a, a, a strong president, Woodrow Wilson. They gave him the Nobel Peace Prize. He had a man who wasn't a colonel, but he called himself Colonel Mandel House. And he was uh, Woodrow Wilson's alter ego. Now, they came up with a, a world government idea. This was Woodrow Wilson. And uh, people said that it was Daddy Bush that started this new world order. It wasn't. I got a book, copyrighted 1918, that says The New World Order. Woodrow Wilson, and they started uh, the League of Nations, the United States Senate, which has to approve all treaties and this kind of thing, said no. And the League of Nations, just like a tree in the start of winter, it just, uh, it leaves dried up and they blew away. The League of Nations never did get off the ground, and it was because of the United States Senate that said we will not be subject to any foreign power. What are we doing? 
Does anybody love Obama out there? Does anybody? I know that, that there are people listening who love and support Obama. You should be calling uh, the White House, 20245. Let's see. Uh, it, I'll have to rethink it. Anyway, the last four, 1111. And. Uh, Seems to me like it was 202, this District of Criminals, and uh, uh, 456, maybe 1111. And just to, so that Obama cannot say that he wasn't told. Our Congress needs to be brought into this thing before we end up as USA Inc. with Obama as some kind of uh, chairman of the board. Do you think that Obama would be reelected today? I'm, uh, you know, I when I look at uh, at our casualty list, you know, it's five thousand nine hundred and forty nine Americans that are dead, that have been killed in combat. Fifteen hundred and eight of them in Afghanistan. 4,441 in Iraq. Now we get to add Libya. Now the last time, and I mentioned this to you on Friday, because that's when they voted, and I wanted to let you know uh, what was coming. But the last time that we uh, bombed uh, Muammar Gaddafi, we lost two United States Air Force captains. They shot down with the air defense system sold to them uh, by Ed Wilson. I told you all about him on Friday. He, my boss, and uh, Air Force General all were partners in Itasco, which was Egypt, <laughs> the Egyptian Air Transport service company, and they all had to end up resigning in disgrace because they were all working for the government, and they were all in this business of making private profit in the millions, tens of millions of dollars. And Dick Secord, I tell you, my boss is so clever, you'll never see him, but he is still doing it. Uh, out of Zurich, Switzerland, and he's still in uh, bed with uh, his old friends, who was the former, uh, when he was the Deputy Secretary of Defense and uh, of CIA. And so uh, there's a lot of money. Uh, war is uh, is a business, and business is good when you look at the world. And so. Uh, I want America to live under the Constitution. I want our children to be able to have a foundation. I feel as if uh, we are on thin ice in this country. And when I see the president, when you've got uh, Japan uh, that is in a severe state where now this uh, nuclear, we'll get into it in more detail, this thing has turned out to be an extremely deadly experience for the world 
in nuclear fallout. We've already started, remember, what I've uh, told you about uh, the unfortunate thing about nuclear fallout and radiation? It is cumulative. Now, you start getting sick from radiation at about 100 rad. Well, if it's only 10 rads, or let's say it's one rad, like the the UN now is saying, well, America, it, you know, there's fallout now coming down, uh, already going across uh, the United States, and uh, will end up uh, in in Great Britain, and then in Europe, <laughs> and it'll go around the world. It is now this thing in Tokyo. Now let's call it Tokyo. This place, 150 miles north is being equated with Chernobyl uh, in the ferocity, in the danger, in the level of uh, this nuclear meltdown. They cannot get this thing under control. And so it builds. So let's just say it's one rat in 300 or 100 days. You're ill. In 300 days, you're dead. All right, stay with American Voice Radio, please. We'll be right back. your family survive a food shortage lasting two weeks, six months, or maybe longer? Sound far-fetched? We live in precarious times. There is an ever-increasing possibility of food shortages caused by terrorist attacks, natural disasters, truck strikes, or monetary collapse. You owe it to yourself and family to prepare, and you can by getting a supply of our long-storing, freeze-dried, and dehydrated foods. Our foods are time-tested to store for decades, require a minimum of time and energy to prepare, while maintaining superior nutritional value, freshness, and taste. Our foods were designed for the space program and are in constant use today by our own nuclear submarine service. Contact the Freeze Dry Guy today at Freeze Dry Guy at Lancet.com. That's Freeze Dry Guy at L A N S E T.com or call 530-265-8333. 530-265-8333. And let them know you heard it on American Voice Radio. Countries have denied Internet access for their people during civil strife. The FCC seized in-use commercial shortwave frequencies right after the September 11th attacks. No one communication system can be depended on to be there when you need information. You need choices. You need a KU band free-to-air satellite system from AVR. The AVR system includes a receiver, an LNB, and a 75-centimeter dish. All you need to get on your own is the coaxial cable. The system is delivered to your door for one 40 
$149.99. That's right, delivered for $149.99. That's the shipping and the system, $149.99. Call 541-225-4659. That's 541-225-4659. Or visit AmericanVoiceRadio.com and click Satellite System. Americans for Immigration Control is a leading national organization dedicated to reasonable levels of legal immigration and effective enforcement to stop illegal immigration. With more than 250,000 members and supporters nationwide, we are an effective voice for immigration reform. AIC stands up in Washington for the views of most Americans on immigration. We are the leaders in stopping recent legislation to reward 10 million or more illegal aliens with legal status and eventual citizenship. The late Georgia Congress and Charlie Norwood had this to say about us. AIC has earned a reputation among members of Congress as one of the most active and responsive advocacy groups in the field of immigration. Join AIC today. For more information, go to our website, immigrationcontrol.com. That's immigrationcontrol.com or call 540-468-2023. That's 540-468-2023. What makes deep sea salt from France so different? Up from the ocean depths in the south of France flow undersea rivers of pristine sea water. At high tide, the prepared salt ponds are filled with this water. Over spring and summer, processed only by ocean breezes and sunshine, the brine thickens and salt crystals float to the top. These are harvested with nets and deposited on wooden drainage flats to dry. The salt is then gathered up, packaged, and shipped around the world. This salt is much more than a box of lifeless sodium chloride. Soldiers worth their salt were once paid with this valuable commodity. It contains 78 to 84 balancing elements. This is living salt, and once you have tasted it, you will never go back to anything else. I've seen this salt in gourmet shops for $30 a pound. Get it now at 4spectrum.us for under $8 a pound. Order 10 pounds and enter the coupon code AVRSALT at checkout and save $20. Ships free to your door or call 800-581-8906. Order today. Before I forget, and talking to Frank Steffen, uh, owner-operator of uh, American Voice Radio, uh, he's got there multiple sources of news that keep him updated, and uh, something that I hadn't heard but I pass on to you, uh, 
the Illinois National Guard is on the ground in Libya. Now, we are being told not to be concerned, just like with the radiation out of Japan, because uh, the French are actually the ones that want the lead uh, on bombing and uh, maneuvering against uh, Muammar Gaddafi. So here I am as a soldier who has been a commander in combat, and I'm wondering what are our soldiers from the Illinois National Guard? How many of you might be from Illinois that are listening? This would concern me. Are going to be under command of foreign officers. How many different kind of foreign officers? You know, this is what uh, Michael knew, uh, stood up for in the 3rd Division. 3rd Division was uh, in Germany at the time. Michael knew was a medic. Um, Michael knew when they said they were going to be deployed as U.N. troops, they had to uh, take an oath that uh, their loyalty would be to the United Nations Charter and nothing else, not the Constitution of the United States. Well, Michael New objected on two basis. He said, first of all, that we he was going to have to wear a U.N. Brazar. This is like an MP uh, shoulder uh, strap that says U.N. It was light blue, very pretty, and white. But he said that Army regulations prevent this. And he's right. He also says that uh, he has to give his allegiance to the United Nations, whose hindquarters is out of New York City, and uh, there is a, a sub-UN headquarters overseas. But uh, this, he wondered, and he wanted answered, cancels out his allegiance and his oath to the Constitution of the United States. Now, Rather, boy, it's too bad that I wasn't a commander there. I am ashamed. You know the 3rd Division is Audie Murphy's division. And uh, it is, it's a shame that uh, the grand unit that has a combat record uh, like Audie Murphy, it is a shame that they can't even answer the questions. No, instead what they did was court-martial this young man who was a a Texas uh, homeschool person and uh, was a medic in the U.S. Army. My gosh. And so he didn't deploy. He was court-martialed. He went through a whole series of things. Now, do you know, just to, to let you know how I felt about the whole thing, Michael New was from Texas. I got a hold of him. Uh, he was not public school. They, his mama loved him enough to teach him at home. 
he came uh, to a to Dallas where I was speaking, and, and uh, before hundreds of people that were attending my talk, I awarded Michael New uh, the Legion of Merit. Now I was awarded two legions of merit. I thought Michael New deserved that award. Now, normally the Legion of Merit only goes to uh, field-grade officers uh, for exceptional duty. Listen, I served on the Army General Staff. Uh, They didn't give me, as a chief of special activities, they didn't give me a Legion of Merit. I served in the office of the Secretary of Defense as a chief of congressional relations. Didn't merit a Legion of Merit. So it's in combat where I commanded special operations troops that I received my legions of merit. And I thought Michael New needed a medal, and I knew that the President of the United States wasn't going to give him one. And so I gave him mine. Now, people say, Bo, you know, you should uh, uh, follow Army regulations or something. You get in trouble. Yes, maybe I should. But you see, I wouldn't be on the radio, would I? In talking to my close friends who have worked their way up the chain of command to four-star general and commander-in-chief of Special Operations Command and commander-in-chief of FORCECOM, which are all of the combat divisions, General Warner and a uh, good friend, General Downing, who died not that long ago. They both told me, said, Bo, we're proud of you. You speak out. You know that we would like to, but we can't because of uh, who we are, four-star generals. You know, I, I'm glad when I look back at my career, I should, I think, sometimes have stayed in the regular Army. I had a 30, 36-year lock-in, certainly would have been a general, and uh, my gosh, what kind of retirement would I have? Well, I'm glad. God knows. Uh, Romans 8, 28, uh, things work out for the best. Now I'm able to be on the radio. And Daddy Bush has already said, get Bo Greitz, and they shot every arrow in the quiver. And so uh, even the IRS, you know, uh, pesters me uh, today, and I have so many men that I know who are great. And, you know, unfortunately, some of the wives go to prison with them because of this damnable IRS. And I look and I see a president like Obama, And I see him taking off. You know, this is spring break for his daughters. And so I don't know how many airplanes. I don't know how many. I do know he's taking some business people with him. But this is a vacation. And here we have the National Guard of Illinois. Isn't this the place where Obama has his roots? Didn't his chief of staff just become the mayor of Chicago, and is that in Illinois? And his fanny is off there in Rio de Janeiro, 
And then he says he's going to go to Ireland to try to find where his ancestors come from. Jiminy, where is that article that tells how dumb Americans are? So if I seem to be frustrated, it's because I have fought for this country along with about 28 million of you. That's how many veterans are in America out of about 311 million people. And every one of us vets have a right to speak out. Now, it wasn't long ago that the FCC uh, left me a note on my door telling me to shut down my low-power radio station. And I haven't done it because we have... It's uh, that radio station of mine. The only thing that I broadcast is music 24 hours a day and community service messages. We got a lot of things that are going on in our community. So I've, uh, and Senator Ensign's written a nice letter for me. Uh, even though we may not be in the best position, I wrote a letter to Senator Reed, but I haven't heard anything from him. He's probably too important, you know, being head of the Senate. The Senator Ensign's written a nice letter to the FCC. The point is, is that we, in, in, in my letter, I, to the FCC, I said, listen, uh, there's not one penny that comes to me because of my radio that I do with uh, American Voice. There's not a penny that comes to me because of my low-power FM station. And we got a lot of important things uh, that we need to, uh, to broadcast. And so uh, some things we have a right to. I think personally, and I believe this, and I think the rest of you that fought for this country ought to believe the same thing. We have a right to speak out. We have a right to stand up. We have a right uh, to move forward in the interest of this country. And do you know Teddy Roosevelt, who's one of my favorite? He's not my favorite. Uh, my favorite's old Hickory. He said of the civilian banks that were trying to take over as the Fed in those days, that was 1832, he said, you're a den of vipers and thieves, and by the power of the Almighty, I'll wipe you out. And that's what he did. Now, there's my favorite. But Teddy Roosevelt, uh, while he had maybe some shortcomings, according to uh, Patriot Movement in America, the fact is that he said, you know, it is patriotic to be not for the president, you know, but for the country. And for that's why we have a constitution. That's why we don't want to lose it. That's why I want Obama reporting to the U.S. Congress. That's representative of the people, not going to the dead gum United Nations. When you look at that bunch of monkeys, I mean, you see that they find, they have found a million dollars in cash in a wall locker. These people, uh, by and large, maybe, are honest, uh, they are intelligent, articulate, but do you know, even the best can be corrupted, can't they? 
uh, by power. I want to run through some things about uh, Japan for our run out of uh, time. There's so many important things. It uh, makes me wish I had all day, but I don't. you probably couldn't stand it. So uh, here is what is, uh, let me just start here at the, at the top. Officials now say that uh, the Fushiyama, Fushi, I can't even speak Japanese now, Fukushima uh, plant has been severely damaged and that the reactor cores are melting down. Now, the director of Akio was his name. He left uh, the microphone after admitting that they had not been truthful uh, with the Japanese people or with the world. And he said he's sorry. He's in tears. He ought to commit seppuku. That's what they did in the old days when they were dishonored. But I guess the Japanese have eroded you know, their culture and their society to the point where you, all you do is cry, and they lead you away, and that means it's all right. But they have a chief uh, cabinet uh, secretary, Ukiyo, who says that now uh, they uh, are recognizing the fact that uh, this is on the same level with Chernobyl. It's on the same level as Three Mile Island that I reminded you of uh, back in 1979. And Chernobyl, just to put it in order, is 1986. And everybody now is saying this is a major catastrophe. This is a disaster. And radiation is streaming into the atmosphere from the used uranium rods in what is reactor number four. A lot of you are becoming very familiar uh, with the terminology in one thing and the other. There was a 45-foot deep storage pool. You've got to keep these rods cool or they melt down. And, of course, that 45-foot deep pool all boiled away because the pumping stations had no power because they didn't have the backup generators were all swept away by the tsunami. And now they're saying that radioactivity uh, will be reaching as far as Great Britain. It's already uh, dropping, of course, in Southern California. Now, the U.N. says that uh, the radiation reaching America, quote, is about a billion times beneath health-threatening levels. I say again, this is cumulative. If it lands in your front yard, it doesn't go away. And so that is, and so in a week, in a month, in a year. Uh, remember these, uh, they made movies about uh, people who uh, built housing projects on uh, chemical uh, storage plant drainage areas and uh, in trash piles, and they wonder why everybody uh, loses their hair and start getting uh, radiation sores and end up dying uh, from 
being poisoned. Well, uh, what we need to do is, I think they're saying and they're admitting now, it may only be that we will have a solution like Chernobyl. In Chernobyl, they now that was 1986, let's remember that, they buried everything, just poured reinforced concrete more and more and more until they thought they had a giant sarcophagus to sort of put this radioactivity away. But do you know what Russia is doing in 2011, this year? They are putting a new cap on Chernobyl, which is costing a tremendous amount of money because the radiation doesn't go away. And the heat and the reaction has cracked the cement cap that they have had on there and they have reinforced throughout the years since 1986. And so when the U.N. says that there's a billion times uh, less uh, uh, than danger falling on uh, California. Well, hey, listen, California is just the first uh, state. <laughs> you know, we got Oregon and Washington that's up there uh, to the north, and uh, Nevada, and this we have all across the United States. And so when you, and I, matter of fact, I gave. I have a a Navy. Uh, unit that has never been used, that is a, a major radiac machine, and I gave it to a friend the other day who said, yeah, he's willing, uh, you got to assemble the thing, but then it will tell you, uh, not a dosimeter, not what the accumulation is, but what is the rate. The rate is very important. And I want to remind you uh, that this business, if you see it on the news, this sergeant's name is Gibbs. Of course, Gibbs is a, a familiar name for people that uh, watch uh, Naval Criminal Investigation, NCIS. Uh, he uh, actually, uh, the sergeant, Calvin R. Gibbs, uh, has been identified. He's in the 5th Striker Combat Brigade. 2nd Infantry Division, that's the Indian Head Division. They are based at Fort Lewis and the McCord, which is an Air Force base in uh, around SeaTac, Seattle-Tacoma area. And uh, now the evidence is clear that they just killed Afghan civilians uh, for the, the heck of it. And that uh, Gibbs liked uh, collecting various body parts. Friends, I have seen this before. This is one reason why you don't want people where they are exposed to this kind of environment when you don't have to. Because it brings out the devil. If the devil isn't in Chicago today or New York City, or L.A., it's because the devil is overseas where this kind of merciless, disgusting, inhumane action can take place. 
And what is the answer? It is for you to be aware so that you can uh, advise our elected officials on the problem and uh, the solution. And I thought maybe I would, uh, let me just glance over uh, this thing because it isn't interesting. It's in Newsweek. Newsweek recently uh, asked a thousand U.S. citizens to take our official citizenship test. 29% of the 1,000 U.S. citizens uh, couldn't name the vice president. 73% couldn't correctly say why we fought the Cold War. Well, I can. I was going to say, try to let them answer why we fought the Civil War, which, of course, wasn't nothing civil about it at all. 44% were unable to define the Bill of Rights. 6% could not even identify when Independence Day is and pointed out on a calendar like July the 4th. And so when you see things like that, uh, you have to you have to wonder <laughs> about us, the United States. Anyway, uh, let me continue just to give you some of this stuff. It says, most experts agree that the relative complexity of the U.S. political system makes it hard for Americans to keep up. In many European countries and parliaments, uh, they have proportional representation in the majority party rules without having to share power with a lot of uh, subnational governments. Now, and so meaning like state and county and city, et cetera, and at all. But when you get people who cannot pass a citizenship test, then uh, it should be of a little, uh, just a little uh, concern, you know, if you know people who are in college or in high school. A 2010 World Public Opinion Survey found that Americans want to tackle deficits by cutting foreign aid. Yes. <laughs> From what they believe is the current level, 27% of the budget, to a more prudent 13%. The real number is under 1%. You know, I'm not so sure that that is correct. January, uh, 25CNN poll discovered that even though 71% of voters uh, want smaller government, vast majorities oppose cuts to Medicare, 81%, Social Security, 78%, Medicaid, 70%. Yeah, of course. And uh, why? Because people care more for themselves. You see, it's there is a, a patriotism, but then there's this selfish uh, side. And so let's stand up for America. Stay where you are with American Voice Radio so you don't miss anything. The brave men of the Green Beret. 
silver wings upon their chest is our men America's best 100 men will test today but only three when the green The political, religious, and medical views presented on various shows heard on American Voice Radio Network are not necessarily the views held by the management of American Voice Radio and are not presented as an endorsement by this network. All statements heard on American Voice Radio are the sole responsibility and opinion of those who speak the particular statement. Most people realize their body needs clean water to function properly. Pure is the cleanest water, also known as distilled water. Some frauds pushing fake science and ignorant people repeating their disinformation and half-truths will tell you distilled water leaches minerals from the body. What they fail to tell you is distilled water only attracts and flushes inorganic minerals from your body. These are minerals your body cannot process and can interfere with your proper body functions. Distilled water does flush these inorganic materials from your body and is an effective and natural way to cleanse your body. ABR sells a distiller that distills one gallon every three and a half hours. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com, click on the Superstore, go to the distiller, check the pricing and how to order, and watch the video explaining in detail why distilled water is pure water. Prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971, when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. Studies have shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com Thursdays, 
6 p.m. Pacific. Constitutional Crusaders show on the American Voice Radio Network. I am your host, M. Roy Ben Shadler, constitutional counselor and still all around pain in the rear end of bureaucrats and petty thugs everywhere. Today is Monday, August 22nd, 2016, 2016. No, I'm not skipping a year here, my friends. I just, I was looking at something else and it, and that made me try and save 2015. But no, it's, it's August 22nd, 2015. 16. Oh boy, now I've really stuck my brain in a rut. Sorry about that. This is a live call-in show if you'd like to call in. It's real simple. The number is 1-800-932-1980. Calling in is not necessary. Thinking, however, is we, of course, do give an exemption to members of Media Matters, the Southern Poverty Law Center, and those government agents that are paid to listen to this show because, after all, if we required them to think that would create a hostile work environment, and we don't want to be responsible for that. We do now have the new Yahoo Messenger. I didn't think it really was going to go away. Uh, uh, I was like, hmm, it's going away? Really? Seriously? No. Nope. The new Yahoo Messenger, same idea as the old Yahoo Messenger of KC7AQK that you may send an instant message directly to your host. Now that I got all that out of the way, as is our want, we like to open the show with the wisdom of the ages, otherwise known as the dead white guy quote, myth is much more important and true than history. History is just journalism, and you know how reliable that is. End quote. That was Joseph Campbell, who I had to go look up. Uh, He's an American mythology professor, or was, excuse me, was an American mythology professor, writer, and orator, best known for his work in the fields of comparative mythology and comparative religion. And boy, he actually nailed that, and you will understand exactly why that is so pertinent uh, to today's show as you hear it unfold in front of your very ears. We have 22 pages in today's show newsletter, and we're probably going to have an extended law school segment that will probably start before 
before I normally start it, and we'll get to as much of it as possible right after this little disclaimer. Warning, this show may be hazardous to your paradigms if you are a whiny, crying, liberal, pinko, commie bedwetter, an inept, overpaid bureaucrat, or are still mad over Reagan's tax cut. Should you fit into any one of the above categories, immediately have your friends tie you down for some truth therapy. Continue this therapy until you can dismiss your delusions and can deal with reality. If you cannot handle 100% pure, unadulterated truth, this radio show will not be held responsible for your predictable discomfort. Remember, my friends, my job is very simple. It is to comfort the disturbed and to disturb the comfortable. And you can do it too, my friends, simply by supporting this show and supporting this network. That means you actually have to pony up for it, my friends. And in case you don't know what that means, it means you have to open up your checkbook or your savings book, etc., and your PayPal accounts or whatever, and start to support this show. Now, I have been accused recently of only providing bad and depressing news things for the show. So, fine. Just to prove that I do give good news, I'm going to open the show with some. The Remainers were wrong. Wages are up and unemployment down as Brexit Britain booms. Yes, proving the doom mongers' fear of economic disaster have been wrong. Unemployment fell by 52K between April and June to 1.64 million to remain at a rate of just 4.9%, the lowest since 2005. Good for you, Britain. Now, if only we'd uh, get some uh, um, uh, uh, turkey out of the the oral oval office, uh, we might actually start to do the same thing in this country. Yeah. Well, the last time... There were fewer out-of-work Britons was between March and May of 2008. At that same time, average total earnings increased by 2.4% in the year to June to a typical uh, 501 pounds, that would be British pounds sterling, a week. The unemployment rate also reached a new record high of 74.5% with 31.75 million people out of work in the three months to June, uh, 172,000 more than the previous quarter. And furthermore, the number of people filing job benefits in July also fell by a little over 8,000. And that's the first fall since February. Now, these figures, my friends, I know it's really hard to do numbers on the radio, but the the bottom line is these figures underline Britain's economic strength as it prepares to exit the European Union. Yeah. Now, Michael Hewson 
who is the chief market analyst at CMC Markets UK, said, quote, if the Brexit vote was a has put a bomb under the economy, as David Cameron suggested it might before the June vote, then it must have had a very long fuse. As for now, there appears to be little, very little evidence of it at this time, end quote. Yep, my friends, I would say that the the fuse, if there was a bomb, is about, oh, maybe 20 miles long of slow burn fuse. Yeah, right. Okay, there we go. That was good news, my friends. Now, on to the regular stuff. <laughs> Obama to Louisiana flood victims. Don't you dare discriminate. I'm waggling my fingers as if I'm, I'm pretending to be B.O. Don't you dare discriminate. I'm waggling my finger really big. Okay. President Obama has irked some Louisiana residents by being President Obama. No, that's not a typo, my friends. The man who would be king issued a memo saying that Louisiana residents Recipients of federal disaster help better not engage in racial discrimination related to the recovery efforts. As it was reported in the Washington Times, <clears throat> in a 16-page guidance issued Tuesday, the Obama administration, led by the Justice Department, warned Louisiana recipients of federal disaster assistance against engaging in, quote, unlawful discrimination on the basis of race, color, or national origin, and that would, I guess, be including limited English proficiency. Hmm. The guidance frameworks, quote, highlight the importance of complying with non-discrimination requirements of civil rights statutes, addressing the needs of the whole community, and ensuring equal opportunity to access recovery efforts, end quote. Well, <clears throat> like, that's not patronizing or anything, right? You know, nothing says presidential, like issuing anti-discrimination lectures from the high and dry sanctity of the White House as locals struggle to feed, house, and clothe their friends and neighbors. No, 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 no. <laughs> Nothing says presidential more than that, my friends. Seriously. Locals weren't exactly thrilled with the president's pseudo-response. The American conservative, Rod Deller, he said, quote, Everywhere you look, you can find black folks and white folks loving on each other, helping each other through this crisis, end quote. Dreher then went on and called the president's response, quote, a long bureaucratic memo, end quote, issued by the, quote, Department of Justice and many other agencies of the executive branch overseen by he who cannot be troubled to leave Martha's Vineyard, end quote. Yeah, in case you might have missed that, my friends, that was sarcasm. Yeah. Talk about summing up. Yeah, sarcasm. Talk about summing up nearly eight years of Obama see. Well, not to worry. President four 
Moore has repeatedly been updated on the situation before returning to another exhausting round of golf. Apparently, tea times are hard to come by these days. And at least 11 people have been reported dead, and 40,000 homes have been damaged by floods in Louisiana. Well, on the better late than never front, Obama is scheduled to visit Louisiana next week. I just want to remind you, my friends, what then-Senator Obama had to say about Bush during Katrina. Do you remember? Well, if you don't, go look it up. Because, um, well, if um, Bush was senator right now and looking at Obama... He could very easily be saying the same things, uh, in fact, extremely easily saying the exact same things about President B.O. as, well, Senator B.O. said about President Bush. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. How about that? Oh, oh, my friends, I have actually run into some of these. Hang on, I've got to wash my hands. Oh, man. Yeah, I've got to wash my hands because these things are filthy, my friends. Um, but I've got to tell you about it. If you criticize Hillary online, be prepared to confront one of her paid trolls. Like I said, I've run into a few of them already, my friends. And when I read about this, I went, aha, that explains their tenacity. A pack that supports Hillary KKK Clinton of the schmoozing with the Grand Kliegel uh, Senator Byrd fame is preparing to launch an online campaign to fight people who criticize her. This is part of the ongoing Democrat strategy to stifle free speech and harass critics. The Los Angeles Times reported this way. Be nice to Hillary Clinton online or risk a confrontation with her super PAC. When the Internet's legions of Hillary hecklers steal away to chat rooms and Facebook pages to vent grievances about Clinton, express revulsion towards Clinton, and launch attacks on Clinton, they may now find themselves in a surprising place, confronted by a multi-million dollar super PAC working with Clinton. Hillary Clinton's well-heeled backers have opened a new frontier in digital campaigning, one that seems to have been inspired by some of the Internet's worst instincts. Correct the record. A super PAC coordinating with Clinton's campaign is spending some one million bucks to find and confront social media users who post unflattering messages about the Democratic frontrunner. In effect, the effort aims to spread a large sum of money to increase the amount of trolling that already exists online. The plan comes as Clinton operatives grapple with the reality that her supporters just aren't as engaged and aggressive online as her detractors inside and outside the Democrat Party. The lack of engagement is one of Clinton's bigger tactical vulnerabilities, particularly when compared with rivals like Donald Trump, 
whose viral social media attacks are legion, and Senator Bernie Sanders, who is backed by a passionate army of media-savvy millennials. Some experts, again, I'm reading from the LA Times, some experts on digital campaigns think the idea of launching a paid army of former reporters, bloggers, and public affairs specialist designers, and others to produce online counterattacks is unlikely to prove successful. Others, however, say Clinton has little choice but to try, given the ambiguity of online assaults and the difficulty of squelching even proverbial untrue narratives once they've taken hold. At the same time, however, using a super PAC to create a counterweight to movements that have sprung up organically is another reflection of the campaign's awkwardness with engaging online, digital professionals said. Hmm. Hmm. Well, my friends, keep this in mind the next time you're reading the comments on YouTube or Reddit. As I said, I've already run into a few of them, my friends, and after running into a few of them, I just have two words. Bring it on. <laughs> yeah, that's two words, my friends. Seriously, bring it on. Come on, I'm ready. <sighs> Feminism. <sighs> Smell that, my friends? That's feminism, yes. That rot. All clubs at Harvard now, thanks to feminism, all clubs at Harvard have to be gender neutral. Except women's clubs. Yeah, you knew something was coming there, right? Yeah, I, I didn't just pause like that because I had to, you know, pick my nose or something. No, 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 no. All clubs at Harvard have to be gender neutral except women's clubs. And when classes reconvene at Harvard this fall, the all-female Seneca organization, which promotes female empowerment among Harvard students, will officially go, quote, gender neutral, end quote, in accordance with a new Harvard policy guidelines. But, but, you knew there was a but in there, right? It won't actually have to admit any men. How does that work, you might ask? I'm glad you did, because you really want to know how this works, my friends. This is how it works. Although male-only final clubs, now I told you about this in the, a while ago, my friends, and how Harvard was doing away with these ancient clubs that are as old, and some of them actually older than Harvard itself, um, these final clubs, as they the male-only final clubs gear up for a war with the administration, which has told them their members won't be considered for scholarships or leadership positions if they remain male-only. Harvard's Dean of Student Affairs reportedly assured the Seneca group that it could, quote, continue to operate as it always has, end quote. All it has to do is make somatic changes to its bylaws. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. 
That's all. They just got to make little semantic changes to his bylaws. Doesn't have to operate any differently. Just make little changes to his bylaws. Yeah. Quote, like women in business or Latinas Unidas, although men may apply, our membership can be made up wholly of women without incurring the sanctions of the administration's new policy, end quote. The group's leader told Seneca members in an email, yeah, that's how. The administration insists that Seneca can violate the new rules because it has a 501c3 nonprofit status and isn't, quote, purely social, end quote. But Harvard's policy seems to carry no such official exemptions. The only quality that invokes the rule's drastic punishment is that the club is gender-specific. An attorney who is consulting with one of Harvard's single-gender final clubs about the policy called the Seneca exception, quote, a very convenient carve-out, end quote. The new elastic interpretation was also seems to coincide with outcry from Harvard's all-female groups. Once the gender-inclusive policy enforced, just not against them. A group called the Crimson Women's Coalition has demonstrated against the policy several times, claiming that women's only groups are safe spaces for female students and that welcoming men up opens these organizations to the possibility of sexual assault. Hmm. 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 I to remember from my very active mind telling you, yes, I remember telling you at the time this whole thing started to break out that that was exactly the claim that the feminists were making against the all males groups is that these organizations were opening up the possibility of sexual assault. Hmm. Now they're saying that the women's group can't have men in it because it opens up the possibility of sexual assault. Wow. If you can follow this line of logic, please write it down on a 3 by 5 card and snail mail it to me because uh, how you followed that line of logic, because I really would like to hear how you did it, you know, seriously. Or call 1-800-932-1980 or send me a Yahoo Instant Message to Yahoo Instant Message ID KC7AQK. Tell me how you followed that line of logic, because I'm telling you, <laughs> that line of logic cannot be followed. <laughs> nope, 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 nope. It just cannot. So, quoting them, oh, we have an instant message. Let's see what we got here. Hmm, he anticipates. White men being alive raises the possibility of sexual assault. <laughs> well, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. <laughs> I admit that. That's pretty good. It made me laugh. It got, you got me there. Okay. Yep. Exactly. Okay. Let's quote the, the Crimson Women's Coalition from their, their flyer where they said, quote, by removing spaces for 
women, Harvard is making our campus less safe for women, end quote. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It seems now, this is what it seems, Harvard is actually figuring out how best to accommodate campus feminists. And for their part, Seneca Club leaders claim they're abiding by the rules as, I see it, we are completely complying with the administration's demands by going gender neutral and anticipating to consider every applicant of any gender the same way they would consider an applicant who's female identified. That's what Seneca's president told the Harvard Crimson. The convenient caveat, of course, is that they won't actually admit men, or rather male-identified applicants. Harvard says, as a final note, that it's still working on policy implementation and won't have the rules ready until, are you ready for this, fall of 2017. It's not even fall of 2016 yet. It's going to take them more than a year to get this together. I can have this together in five minutes, my friends. What's it going to take them over a year for? Yeah, exactly. You're listening to the Constitutional Crusader Show on the American Voice Radio Network. Don't you go anywhere. We will be right back. that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific.
donate online by going to wichitahomeless.com or simply call 316-619-4886. Most people realize their body needs clean water to function properly. Pure is the cleanest water, also known as distilled water. Some frauds pushing fake science and ignorant people repeating their disinformation and half-truths will tell you distilled water leaches minerals from the body. What they fail to tell you is distilled water only attracts and flushes inorganic minerals from your body. These are minerals your body cannot process and can interfere with your proper body functions. Distilled water does flush these inorganic materials from your body and is an effective and natural way to cleanse your body. ABR sells a distiller that distills one gallon every three and a half hours. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com, click on the Superstore, go to the distiller, check the pricing and how to order, and watch the video explaining in detail why distilled water is pure water. Welcome back to the Constitutional Crusader Show on the American Voice Radio Network. Frank is being absolutely brilliant with the music here. In case you aren't catching on, the both of those are uh, both the songs, the outro and and now the intro here were uh, featured in Animal House, which was supposed to be a a parody and spoof of Harvard. And since I spent so much time talking about Harvard and their women's only clubs that will now be gender neutral but not admit any men. <laughs> that just brilliant, brilliant, Frank. I'm, I'm applaud. I'm applauding you. There we go. That was brilliant. I love it. Thank you. Now on to more unserious subjects. Clinton Foundation. Yes, I meant to say it that way. Clinton Foundation only gave five grand to veterans charities last year. Mm-hmm. Yep. The Clinton Crime Syndicate, otherwise known sometimes by those who uh, are unwilling to think about things, the Clinton Family Foundation, only gave one $5,000 contribution to a veterans group last year, according to tax returns provided to the Republican National Committee. The foundation's $5,000 donation, $5, donation to the Wounded Warrior Project represents less than one-fifth of one percent of all the foundations giving in the year 2015. The Clintons, insanely rich from speaking fees, among other things, gave $1.5 million to their own foundation that same year that they only gave the five grand uh, to the vets. Donald Trump's strong appeal to veterans around the country, particularly in swing states like Ohio and Virginia, is keeping the Clintons on the run. Hillary Clinton is banking on support from various minority groups and women's to get out the vote. Trump, meanwhile, is focusing on getting the vets to the polls. 
Trump personally raised $5.6 million for a wide range of veterans groups during this campaign, dwarfing the charitable contributions of his opponent to the pro-veteran cause. Now, my friends, there's this movie out. You need to see it. And uh, I didn't check it yet today, uh, but the last time I checked, it was still available on YouTube. It's called Clinton Cash. And you can actually download it, and I would highly recommend you download it. I use uh, the UMI uh, downloader. I think, what's it called? It's called, hang on, minimize, minimize. Yeah, UMI video. Uh, it's, I use the UMI video downloader. You can use whatever downloader you want, but I love the UMI video downloader. And you can actually download it and then watch it anytime you want because I am shocked that it stayed, if it still is on YouTube, that it stayed on as long as it can has. Um, so, uh, hmm, I mean, no, I don't think that's anything to do with what, no, I don't know what that is. Um, and, never mind. I was being, uh, showing something else. Now, where was I? Uh, do, 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 do. uh, how the heck did I get there? Where the heck? Oh yeah. Okay. There we go. I, my notes got screwed up here. So anyway, like I said, watch that movie. It's uh, a great little documentary on exactly how their finances are arranged. It's not pretty. Now, we call this the Constitutional Crusaders Show because one of the things we do love to talk about is the rule of law. Well, we also have to deal in the reality, unfortunately, of the chaos of statutes. So on that subject. Did you know that there is a section of Yellowstone? Now, uh, whoa, whoa, wait a second here. Before I say this out loud, I need to do a little disclaimer. So make note of this, my friends. I am making a disclaimer that I am not advocating anyone engage in this activity in any way, shape, or form. I am merely reporting on some facts. There, now that that little disclaimer is out of the way, did you know that there is a section of Yellowstone where you can get away with murder? Here's how. Again, I'm not telling you to do it or advocating anyone do it. I'm just simply stating some facts. From the column entitled, Vice Guided Tours, this is what they wrote. This is what was written in it. The blood is still drying on Clay McCain's hands when he walks into a remote ranger station, slides a warm gun across the desk, and informs the ranger that he just killed four campers. Do you want me to call a lawyer? The alarmed ranger asks. I am a lawyer, McCain says. So begins C.J. Box's 2007 thriller, Free Fire, the seventh in a book of series about a Wyoming game warden. The novel's plot spins on the premise that in an uninhabited 50-square-mile portion of Yellowstone National Park, you can legally get away with murder. The book's premise originates from a 14 
18-page article called The Perfect Crime by Michigan State University law professor Brian Kalt. The article describes a judicial no-man's land in the Idaho part of Yellowstone, where a person can commit a crime and get off scot-free due to, like I said, my friends, how did I start this out? Sloppy statutes. Mm-hmm. Well, this is due to sloppy jurisdictional boundaries because of those sloppy statutes. See, in 2004, Colt was weeks away from becoming a father, and before the baby arrived, he wanted to churn out one last article to stay on track for tenure. He was researching obscure jurisdictional gray areas when he found a reference to the unusual jurisdiction of Yellowstone National Park. Now, like all national parks, Yellowstone is federal land. Portions of it fall in Idaho, Montana, and Wyoming, but Congress placed the entire park in Wyoming's federal district. It's the only federal court district in the country that crosses state lines. Now, this is a bit of a big deal for me, my friends, because as you may recall, you long-term listeners may recall, I was charged as part of a conspiracy to defraud, even though they didn't charge me or anyone else with any kind of fraud, just a conspiracy to defraud. Go figure that one out. If you can figure that one out, please explain it to me, because nobody's been able to explain it to me. Um, uh, even even the, the attorneys and, and, and the prosecutions could not explain how that works. They just said, well, you just conspired to do it. Okay, conspired to do what? Because didn't charge me with anything, right? Well, they had a big powwow, the prosecution that is, on which court they was going to hold this in. They did not want to hold this in the district court in Idaho because if they did, we could have very easily drew one of the three judges of the four judges of the federal district court in Idaho that have all said that, well, the very things that we supposedly did don't apply. And uh, that wouldn't have been good for the prosecution because it would have been a slam dunk lose. It never would have gone beyond uh, a, a, a hearing. In fact, it wouldn't even got to the question of how do you plead? That's how far it would have not gotten. So they moved it to Oregon and then claimed the entire thing happened here in Oregon when it didn't. It happened all over the country. And, of course, we weren't allowed to bring up the jurisdictional issues here. But here's back to Yellowstone. Here's the thing. So, the, in the federal court district is only in Wyoming. But, like I said, it's the only federal court that crosses state lines. Now, this little trivia fact here would scarcely summon a yawn from a layperson, but to a constitutional attorney like Call, 
It was a flapping red flag. Colt knew that Article 3 of the Constitution requires federal crime, criminal trials to be held in the state in which the crime was committed. And the Sixth Amendment entitles a federal criminal defendant to a trial by jurors living in the state and district where the crime was committed. But if, and that's again why I said, uh, they couldn't do what they did here in Oregon if they was following these rules. They just couldn't have done it. They would have had to have separate trials. A trial for me, because I'm in Oregon. A trial for the supposed ringleader in Idaho, because he was in Idaho. A trial in Florida for his second-in-command, because he was in Florida. A trial in Kansas for the third guy because he was there and then a trial in Montana for the fourth guy because he was there and the fifth guy he turned state evidence so we won't even get into that but yeah they but they didn't want to do that because they knew that would be a losing proposition in so many different ways so this back to this jurisdiction and the jury and such where was I yes right the jury right the sixth amendment entitles to those jurors where the crime is committed, but if someone committed a crime in the uninhabited Idaho portion of Yellowstone cult surmised, it would be impossible to form a jury, and being federal land, the state would have no jurisdiction. Here's where a clear constitutional provision enabling criminal immunity in 50 square miles of America's oldest national park. He wrote and said, the more I dug into it, the more interesting I got. People have this fascination with uncovering a loophole for the perfect crime. There's a lot of different approaches to it, but in terms of geography, there's just this one spot. So Colt cranked out a paper in two weeks before his wife gave birth, and the Georgetown Law Journal agreed to publish it in 2005, but Colt worried his paper might inspire someone to schedule a trip to Yellowstone with the person they liked least. So before it came out, he sent copies to the Department of Justice, the U.S. Attorney in Wyoming, the House and Senate Judiciary Committees, and he hoped they would close the loophole before he broadcast it to the world. It would be a simple fix, Colt wrote, for Congress to divide Yellowstone into three federal districts, the Idaho portion going to Idaho, the Montana portion going to Montana, and the Wyoming portion going to, you guessed it, Wyoming. He even drafted the legislation language. It was three lines long. But Colt barely got a response. From what he did here, it seemed no one intended to do a thing. He said, I was naively thought that once Congress found out about this, they'd think it was a problem worth fixing, and they'd fix it. But nothing happens in Washington just because it's a good idea, end quote. I have news for you, Colt. Things only happen in Washington when they're a bad idea. Well, about 98.9% of the time, that is. He went on to say, people have this fascination with uncovering the perfect crime in and this is the spot. Uh, right. Uh, oh, that's a repeat. I'm sorry about that. Anyway, sorry. He says, I write about mystery, suspense, and crime. So the idea of a perfect crime anywhere, and especially in my neighborhood, was just really intriguing. So, oh, I'm sorry. That was, a, that was from C.J. Box. C.J. Box, who, who's a, a writer and such, and he read about this, and that's what he said. And in his novel... Free Fire, 
which made the New York Times extended bestseller list and continues to be popular. He says, every time I go on tour, someone asks me about it. The book is sold all over Yellowstone, which I find really interesting that people are still buying it like crazy, end quote. Well, Cult notes in his article that even in the zone of death, as it's called, it would be difficult to get away with a crime completely. First, the crime would have to be serious enough to entitle the defendant to a jury trial, since lesser offenses could lead to fines or even short prison sentences, and the crime would need to happen entirely within the park. See, if it was orchestrated elsewhere, the defendant could be charged with something like conspiracy to commit murder in another district, and even then the defendant would still face civil lawsuits, like getting sued by the victim's next of kin, and finally... There aren't that many opportunities for a crime in an area that is as uninhabited and remote. After all, there's not even a road connecting it to the rest of Yellowstone. So, Colt says, all of these things reduce the incentive. It becomes harder to imagine someone relying on my theory and getting away with it, end quote. Even though... Colt is worried about the wait-and-see approach Congress is taking to this loophole. He says, I'm less concerned about the odds than the stakes. I don't think something is likely to happen, but it would be really bad if it did. If Congress really wanted to fix this, it wouldn't take long at all. The problem isn't that complicated. It's just that they're not interested in it, end quote. And Congress doesn't seem to agree. Wyoming Senator Michael Onzi's press secretary said in an emailed statement that, quote, Senator Onzi has studied the zone of death issue in Yellowstone National Park, and there does not seem to be a simple legislative fix, end quote. Idaho Senator Jim Risch said that the argument is, quote, science fiction, end quote, and insist the state of Idaho would have jurisdiction over a crime there, saying, quote, this is all very romantic and a great fictional thing, but I'm telling you the states have jurisdiction, end quote. The statute, however, clearly places Yellowstone under, quote, the sole and exclusive jurisdiction of the United States, end quote. So Colt, for his part, isn't surprised that lawmakers are sitting on their hands as, quote, they don't deal with hypothetical threats. They deal with concerns that are currently affecting influential constituents, end quote. And there he nailed it right on the head, affecting influential constituents. Still, the inaction has caused him some existential hand-wringing, saying, quote, The question I usually get is, why write the article? If you know they're not going to fix it, why bring it up? I really don't have a good answer, other than to say I'm optimistic that maybe every once in a while something happens, end quote. And until then, Colt's theory of the perfect crime needs only the perfect criminal to walk into the woods and test it. The answer will be settled once and for all. Unfortunately, someone may have to die first. And that's not an outlandish notion in America's national parks. See, in 2015, a man was stabbed to death in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park. And in 2013, a woman pushed her newlywed husband over a cliff in Glacier National Park. So when Free Fire, the book, came out, the publisher brought Colt, 
to Wyoming to speak at some publicity events. After one talk, someone suggested they drive out to the Idaho portion of the park to take some pictures. It's a beautiful area, by all accounts. An untrampled wilderness of lodgepole pines, grizzly bears, and waterfalls. But Colt had no interest in tempting fate, saying, I'm not going there for a million dollars. Not until this is fixed, and probably not even then. The irony gods would have a field day with that one, end quote. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Woohoo! Remember how I opened the show with good news? Remember that? Well, here's some more good news, my friends. Prison stock prices collapse after Fed's announced end to private prison use. I will remind you, I spent 11 months in a federal <clears throat> camp that was run by a private company for the Federal uh, Department of Corrections. So when I read about this, I was like, yeah, goodbye. Nah, 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 nah. Yeah, hey, hey, goodbye. Right, exactly. The Department of Justice announcement last week that it would reduce or terminate contracts with the private prison companies commanded headlines and provided cautious hopes to those determined to end America's age of mass incarceration. But what happened directly after the DOJ revealed its decision provides deeper insight into the corporatist structure that pervades the United States. Shortly after the announcement, stock prices for two of the biggest companies in the private Prison industry suffered massive historic losses. Bloomberg reported it this way. Corrections Corp. fell 37% in New York after dropping as much as 52%. The real estate investment trust's biggest intraday decline in almost 16 years. GEO Group plummeted 38% after falling earlier falling 50%. It's largest drop since the stock trade began trading in 1994, end quote. Well, the top stocks tanked shortly after the Deputy Attorney General Sally Yates said that private prisons, quote, simply do not provide the same level of correction services, programs, and resources, and do not save substantially on costs, end quote. In a blog post, she cited dwindling the federal prison population to justify the shift, noting that there are, quote, approximately 195,000 inmates in Bureau of Private Contract Facilities, down from a high in 2013 of approximately 220,000, end quote. This shift spells trouble for companies that rely on sustained prison populations to remain afloat, end quote. We are dependent on government appropriations, both Corrections Corp. CEO Group admitted in their report last year, as Bloomberg reported. Corrections Corp. report noted that 24 government contracts were set to expire in December of this year, as were 10 more that were not eligible for renewal. The contracts were worth $594 million in revenue for the single corporation, 33% of the company's total venue. Geo Group currently receives 45% of its total revenue from the government agencies. The rise of private prisons was the direct result 
of the United States exploding prison population in the 80s, sparked in large part by that phony, fake war on drugs, which we now know was totally invented by then-President Nixon, okay? It just took this long to finally come out about how it was created as a political hack tool to control people. Uh, You know, that infamous enemies list? Ha! We hardly knew the surface of it once we finally read about this, my friends. Well, anyway, grassroots leadership, an activist group that fights to end for-profit incarceration and reduce reliance on criminalization and detention through direct action, organizing, research, and public education, explained their financial shortcomings in 2003, writing CCA, that's Correction Corp of America. CCA came close to insolvency in the late 1990s after it embarked on a process of building expensive speculative prisons, i.e. ones for which it did not have an operating contract lined up ahead of time. The company borrowed a huge sum, ultimately about $1 billion, to support speculative construction while simultaneously engaging in a series of dubious financial restructurings, end quote. Now, what this organization did not bring up, my friends is the backroom wheeling and dealing and the payoffs and graft to various politicians to keep and house and in and and fill these private prisons my friends and I'm not, not talking just about feds but I'm also talking about state prisons because the camp I was in while it was a federal prison it was surrounded by like nine different prisons Eight of them were run by private companies. And, of course, they only got paid per prisoner. So if the place is half empty, well, you can do the math, right? Hmm. Bob Lindahl, executive director of grassroots leadership, told Bloomberg, saying, quote, These contracts really helped save the private prison industry in the late 1990s when the BOP really bailed out an industry that was struggling. And over the last decade, the private prison industry has really made its money in federal contracts. That's where the growth has been, either through immigration and customs enforcement or through the Bureau of Prisons, end quote. Well, I'll tell you that right there, my friends. See, I was in that camp. But the camp was called a satellite facility because the main prison, well, the camp had like on average about 600 people in it. The main facility had close to 2,000 in it. Yeah, and it was an INS detention facility, my friends, which meant 99% of the people there spoke Spanish and it was and Spanish only, and yet it was not a requirement to speak Spanish to be one of the turnkeys there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, their profits ended up soaring. The private prison industry's profits ended up soaring over 500% over two decades, bolstered by the private prison industry's widespread practices. You're listening to the Constitutional Crusader Show on the American Force Radio Network. Don't you go anywhere. We'll be right back. Let's go. 
mistake. Aspirin was discovered by mistake during World War II and suppresses your immune system and prevents blood clotting. Don't expose your body to risk when you can use a natural inflammation and pain reliever called Extra Strength Pain Relief by Apothecary Herbs. Discover the power this formula has with Salicin to enter the system in 60 seconds to work hard and relieve pain for 12 hours. Whether it's arthritis, sports injury, or flu, you can relieve aches, pain, and swelling with our Extra Strength Pain Relief Formula. Call Apothecary Herbs now, toll-free, 866-229-3663. That's 866-229-3663. International callers dial 704-875-8010 or order online at the 3 wsthepowerherbscom Prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971, when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. If you're here to feel good about government, if you believe that people in office 
actually care about your well-being if you believe that statutes and codes are God's gift to man. This show is not for you. If you believe NBC, CNN, faux news, and the like actually report real news, this show is not for you. This is the proper place where those beliefs need disposal of. So if you decide to stick around, this show will not be responsible for your mental instability. If you're brave enough to call in, this is your warning. You best bring facts to the discussion. And welcome back to the Constitutional Crusader Show on the American Voice Radio Network. I am your host, Emroy Ben Shadler, constitutional counselor and still all around pain in the rear end of bureaucrats and petty thugs all over. Today is still Monday, August 22nd, 2016. It is the 4 o'clock hour out here on the left coast. If you're listening some other time zone, obviously you're going to have to adjust your class accordingly. This is a live call-in show. Calling in is not necessary. Thinking, however, is we, of course, do give an exemption to those members of Media Matters, the Southern Poverty Law Center, and those government agents that are paid to listen to the show, because after all, if we required them to think, that would create a hostile work environment. We don't want to be responsible for that. But if you want to call in, number is real simple, 1-800-932-1980, or you may send through the new Yahoo Messenger a message directly to me, KC7AQK is the ID. I'm not going to go in and finish the rest of this on the for-profit prisons that I was talking about uh, and how they're tanking as a result of uh, the government finally saying we're not going to do that anymore. I will just simply remind you of my personal experiences while I was down there, and that is these. one of the reasons these for-profit prisons could, well, run at such a huge profit was some of the various little deals that they worked out. Like one of the deals was is they had a deal with the Department of Agriculture and, and food safety people that they would take, well, you know when, do you remember oh, about Five and a half years ago, the big um, scare uh, of salmonella in cantaloupe that took hundreds of tons of cantaloupe off store shelves all over, literally creating a huge uh, uh, shortage of cantaloupe. Did you ever wonder where all that cantaloupe went? I can tell you where it went. It went to places like the camp I was in, they served us cantaloupe for three weeks till it was coming out of our ears, my friends. And that's where it went. So the, the recalled cantaloupe, you know, it was repackaged up and sent out to various prisons, including the camp I was in. And uh, like I said, it's just cantaloupe coming out the ears there. If you wanted any kind of fresh fruit, that was it. That was the only thing they was going to be serving. And another thing is that, um, uh, shall we say, past pull date chicken 
one of the reoccurring things on the menu, because there was a five-week menu, they just kept serving the same thing uh, over a five-week period, you know, so you could actually look on the menu and say, oh, today is going to be this, because, well, it's been laid out in advance, right? And one of the things that was a regular was barbecued chicken quarters, and one day, because of the particular job that I had, required me to go to this place that normally would have been out of bounds for me, uh, which would have got me in trouble if I'd been caught back there without a valid reason. Well, I had a valid reason to be there. And it was right behind the uh, kitchen, and I looked, and there on the loading docks was the boxes that the chicken had come in and in big red letters. I'm talking letters that were a good eight inches tall and really thick. You could read them from a good distance. Big red letters, not for human consumption. Yeah, that was the chicken that was meant for us. Not for human consumption. Animal feed only is what it said. Yeah. I got in trouble, my friends, over that. Because the staff at the camp would eat with us, us peon inmates, okay? They would eat with us. Of course, they, they sat off on their table off to the side where there was always a, a guard there watching and protecting them in case someone might flick, flip a, a spoonful of yogurt or something at them, right? Um which never happened, but I digress. And they would, so they'd wait in line with us, um, with a guard with them all the time. And uh, of course, they'd be put to the head of the line. And the one day that uh, our dorm got out first, uh, so I was right there at the head of the line. And they were just in front of me, and they were all talking about, oh, how much they really enjoyed the barbecue chicken. It was one of the times they really enjoyed not having to pack their own lunch because they can come there and, and have lunch there and, and such and et cetera. And they was really enjoying it because, it, see, it was all cooked by the inmates there, and some of them were pretty dang good cooks. I, I, I make no bones about it. They really were. And they cooked really well, and, uh, but they only had what they had to work with. And I said, yeah, well, you should see the boxes that these things come in before you eat. What do you mean? So we'll go around the back of the kitchen and look at the boxes. They're on the loading dock. Don't take my word for it. After all, I am just an inmate, you know. So go look at the boxes. And, well, one is, was, what the heck? So walk down the little alleyway and comes back all green and whispers over to their, their friends. And they all leave. And, of course, then I got hauled off to the, the warden's office because what I say to them and the, what was I doing back there? And I explained exactly what I was doing back there. Oh, okay. Well, you shouldn't have told them that. What? I was just telling them the truth. They might want to look at the boxes that the, the chicken came in. Says, yeah, but you really upset them. <laughs> yeah, right. I really upset. I really upset. See, it was all my fault, my friends, that I told them the truth. You see how that works? This is the way it works, my friends. That's the way it works. Just so you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, well, anyway, I digress. That's enough of that. Now, 
For years, my friends, I've been telling you that psychology as we know it today was created and exists in a large fashion as a weapon to be used against us. Well, here is proof of that, my friends. Nonconformity and free thinking now considered mental illnesses. This is the title of an article here, my friends. And it starts out saying, is nonconformity and free thinking a mental illness? According to the newest edition of the DSM-5, that's the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, it certainly is. The manual identifies a new mental illness called oppositional defense. Defiant Disorder, or ODD, defined as, quote, an ongoing pattern of disobedient, hostile, and defiant behavior, end quote. Systems it, symptoms include questioning authority, negativity, defiance, argumentativeness, and being easily annoyed. I am not making this up, my friends. This is not sarcasm. I'm not trying to be funny here. I'm not trying to be cute. Seriously, I'm not. The DSM-5 is the manual used by psychiatrists to diagnose mental illnesses, and with each new edition, there are scores of new mental illnesses. Are we becoming sicker? Is it getting harder to be mentally healthy? Authors of the DSM-5 say that it's because they're better able to identify Identify these illnesses today. Critics charge this because they have too much time on their hands. Newer mental illnesses identified in the DSM-5 include arrogance, narcissism, above-average creativity, cynicism, and antisocial behavior. Again, I am not trying to be sarcastic or smart here, if you understand what I mean by smart. These things are now becoming mental illnesses. And in the past, these were called personality traits. But now they're diseases. And if that isn't scary enough, there are treatments available. Uh-huh, uh-huh. This is where it's going, my friends. All of this is a symptom of our over-diagnosing and over-medicating culture. In the last 50 years, the DSM has gone from 130 to 357 mental illnesses. A majority of these illnesses afflict, surprise, 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 children. Although the manual is an important diagnostic tool for the psychiatric industry, it has also been responsible for social changes. The rise in ADD, bipolar disorder, and depression in children has been largely because of the manual's identifying certain behaviors as symptoms. 
A Washington Post article observed that if Mozart was born today, he would have been diagnosed with ADD and medicated into barren normality. We got a couple of instant messages here. Hang on. Oh, that's just an unknown phone call. What do we got here? And all those symptoms, highly subjective. How is that science? Actually, I'm getting to that. I'm getting to that. I can't say it all at once, so I've got to say it uh, one sentence at a time. I'm sorry. So getting back to that one sentence at a time, according to the DSM-5, the diagnosis guidelines for identifying oppositional defiant disorder are for children, but adults can just as easily suffer from the disease. My friends, this should give any free-thinking American reason for worry. The Soviet Union used the new mental illnesses for political repression. People who didn't accept the beliefs of the Communist Party developed a new type of schizophrenia. They suffered from the delusion of believing communism was wrong. They were isolated, forcefully medicated, and put through repressive therapy to bring them back to sanity. With the last edition of the DSM-5, or when the last edition of the DSM-5, Four was published, identifying the symptoms of various mental illnesses in children. There was a jump in the diagnosis and medication of children. Some states have laws to allow protective agencies to forcibly medicate and even make it a punishable crime to withhold medication. This paints a chilling picture for those of us who are nonconformists. And although the authors of the manual claim no ulterior modus, but simply better diagnostic practices, excuse me while I throw up, the labeling of free thinking and nonconformity as mental illnesses has a lot of potential for abuse. It can easily become a weapon in the arsenal of a repressive state. Yeah. Now, here's some details, my friends, from the Mayo Clinic. Here's the details. Now, listen to this carefully, my friends, because you may be suffering from oppositional defiant disorder. Are you ready? This is an article that's simply labeled by the Mayo Clinic staff, and they write saying, Sometimes it's difficult to recognize the difference between a strong-willed or emotional child and one with oppositional defiant disorder. It's normal to exhibit oppositional behavior at certain stages of a child's development. Signs of ODD generally begin during preschool years. Are you catching this, my friends? Generally begin during preschool years. Sometimes ODD may develop later, but it almost always before the early teen years. These behaviors cause significant impairment within family, social activities, school, and work. 
The Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, DSM-5, published by the American Psychiatric Association, lists criteria for diagnosing ODD. This manual is used by mental health providers to diagnose mental conditions and by insurance companies to reimburse for treatment. So here we go, my friends. That laid the groundwork. Here is the criteria. A diagnosis of ODD shows a pattern of behavior that includes at least four symptoms from any of these categories. Angry and irritable mood, argumentative and defiant behavior, or vindictiveness occurs with at least one individual who is not a sibling, causes significant problems at work, school, or home, occurs on its own rather than as part of the course of another mental health problem, such as substance use disorder, depression, or bipolar disorder, and finally lasts at least six months. The DSM-5 criteria for diagnosing of ODD include both emotional and behavioral symptoms. So, here's the definitions. Angry and irritable mood is defined as often loses temper, is often touchy or easily annoyed by others, is often angry and resentful. Argumentative and defiant behavior is defined as often argues with adults or people in authority, often actively defies or refuses to comply with adults' requests or rules, often deliberately annoys people, often blames others for his or her mistakes or behavior. Vindictiveness is defined as such, is often spiteful or vindictive, has shown spiteful or vindictive behavior at least twice in the past six months. These behaviors must be displayed more often than is typical for your child's peers. For children younger than five years, the behavior must occur on most days for a period of at least six months. For individuals five years or older, the behavior must occur at least once a week for at least six months. ODD can vary in severity. Mild would be defined as symptoms occur only in one setting, such as only at home, school, work, or with peers. Moderate is defined sometimes some symptoms occur in at least two settings, and severe some symptoms occur in three or more settings. For some children, symptoms may be first seen only at home, but with time extend to other settings, such as school and with friends. When to see a doctor, the Mayo Clinic tells you. Your child isn't likely to see his or her behavior as a problem. Instead, your child will probably believe that unreasonable demands are being placed on him or her. But if your child has signs of symptoms common to ODD that are more frequent than is typical for his or her peers, make an appointment with your child's doctor. And if you're concerned about your child's behavior or your own ability to parent a challenging child, seek help from your doctor, a child psychologist, or a child behavioral <clears throat> expert. Your primary care doctor or your child's pediatrician can refer you to the appropriate professional. 
my friends, if that doesn't send chills up and down your spine, if that doesn't scare the ever-living crap out of you, I don't know what will. This was two very serious articles, yet I could have easily read them in a sarcastic and mocking manner, but I did not for deliberate reasons because I wanted you to hear these for the quote-unquote serious tone that they were written in because, again, this should scare the crap out of you. This is what your kids and you, I'm reading through this and I'm going, oh my goodness, I qualify. I am ODD by this diagnosis. Yeah, easily. So that's why I'm telling it to you. So you're prepared. Okay, from a blog I often write in, yes, I wrote this. This is what I wrote. People talk about media bias, but what is it really? Well, here is an example. This guy comes on during one of the off-peak one-minute news flash segments and talks about this and that and closes with the urgent news about how unless Congress acts now, Social Security benefits will be cut, gasp, in half. I kind of pick up and listen more intensely, which is probably why I noticed they dropped the audio output three to five decibels as they trailed off the end that this action will occur. That is, the cut in half will take place in the year... Are you ready for this? Remember, according to this news action report, that action must be taken now or it will be cut in half in 2034. Now, by the time he reached that point, how many people the story was meant to stir up are listening to the year? That, my friends, is what the lamestream media bias is all about. Yes, it's the little things, but giant avalanches start with just a few pebbles rolling down the hill. There's something for you to think about. And now it's time for the critical thinking segment. I don't have any links of interest because, well, I don't have enough time. So critical thinking, thinking segment, think about the function of this show. Then think about this meme which reads, interesting how hackers have broken the year's biggest stories and, quote, journalists, end quote, have tried to cover them up. Now, I'm not a hacker in the sense of breaking into other people's systems, but I do hack into and expose their false narratives. Besides, remember the dead white guy quote from the beginning of the show? And if you weren't here for that, well, that means you have to listen to the rebroadcast, my friends, because I'm not going to give it to you again here. I'm seeing if you remembered it. <laughs> and there's your critical thinking segment. Okay. Today, 
on the Roy's School of Guerrilla Lawfare. I spent a little bit of time, obviously, talking to you about this new ODD illness. I'm finding it so difficult to mention to talk about this as an illness here. When I come back here from the break, I'm going to jump right into it with both feet and tell you why anti-authoritarians are being diagnosed as mentally ill. It's not going to be pretty. And if you weren't listening to my descriptions of ODD and what it's all about, the law school segment is going to go right over your heads, my friends. Because I'm going to tell you the chilling, horrifying story of exactly how ODD and other things like it can and will probably be used as a weapon to shut you up. Or at the very least, shut up those that you listen to, which would be me, you see, be afraid, be very afraid, because I'm going to tell you all about it right after this little break that's coming up here. It's not pretty. I really mean that. I evidently really misread the clock here. The article is written by Bruce Levine, who is a Ph.D.-level psychiatrist himself. And when you have an insider in the industry warning you about the, well, what's coming, you should sit up and take notice, my friends, because uh, he's warning you. And then I'm going to tell you when I'm done with that about what all of this means in the form of what other organizations have to say about it. You're listening to the Constitutional Crusader Show on the American Voice Radio Network. Don't you go anywhere. We will be right back. obligations or relationship problems have you feeling stressed out when life is too much to handle use apothecary herbs emotional stress formula feel calm and more in control with herbs especially combined to provide the organic nutrition your system needs to help you cope complete instructions for maximum benefit and a money-back guarantee you've waited long enough call apothecary herbs now toll free 866-229-3663 That's 866-229-3663. International callers dial 704-875-8010 or order online at the 3 wsthepowerherbscom 
Since the beginning of the United States, kings have sought it, nations have fought for it. It has been traded, borrowed, purchased, and stolen. There is a reason for it. To secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, invest with the security of gold and silver. Call Discount Gold and Silver Trading at 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Listen to Financial Survival with your host, Melody Cedarstrom, on American Voice Radio Network and Shortwave Radio. Visit DiscountGoldAndSilverTrading.net or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. For the very best in gold and silver trading, call toll-free 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Call now. Studies have shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. Welcome back to the Constitutional Crusader Show on the American Voice Radio Network. You're listening to your host, I'm Roy Ben Shadler, constitutional counselor and still all around pain in the rear and the bureaucrats and petty thugs everywhere. This is the segment of the show we call the Roy's School of Guerrilla Lawfare. That's L-A-W for learn and win through a better education. And as I previously said, uh, well, for those of you that are just joining us, I have to remind you that what I previously said is that... What I'm about to say is based on the foundation that I built talking to you about ODD, Oppositional Defiant Disorder. And if you weren't here for that segment of the show here just a few minutes past, then this may not make as much sense to you as it should. So that's an encouragement to you if you're just joining us that you're really going to have to go back and get the rebroadcast to hear that portion of the show. Otherwise, like I said, this is not going to have the same impact to you. Again, this is from Dr. Bruce Levine, PhD, psychiatrist, who writes the the statement, why anti-authoritarians are diagnosed as mentally ill. And he speaks in first-person singular a lot. So every time you hear it in, as the I word or first-person singular references, it is him speaking, and he starts out. In my career as a psychologist, I have talked with hundreds of people previously diagnosed by other professionals with oppositional defiant disorder, attention 
attention deficit hyperactive disorder, anxiety disorder, and other psychiatric <clears throat> illnesses. I am struck by, one, how many of these diagnosed are essentially anti-authoritarians, and two, how those professionals who have diagnosed them are not. Anti-authoritarians question whether an authority is a legitimate one before taking that authority seriously. Evaluating the legitimacy of authorities includes assessing whether or not authorities actually know what they're talking about, are honest, and care about those people who are respecting their authority. And when anti-authoritarians assess an authority to be illegitimate, they challenge and resist that authority, sometimes aggressively and sometimes passive-aggressively, sometimes wisely and sometimes not. Some activists lament how few anti-authoritarians there appear to be in the United States. One reason could be that many natural anti-authoritarians are now psychopathologized and medicated before they achieve political consciousness of society's most oppressive authorities. So, why mental health professionals diagnose anti-authoritarians with mental illness? Hmm. See, gaining acceptance into graduate school or medical school and achieving a PhD or MD and becoming a psychologist or psychiatrist means jumping through many hoops, all of which require much behavioral and attentional compliance to authorities, even to those authorities that one lacks respect for. The selection and socialization of mental health professionals tends to breed out many anti-authoritarians. Having steered the higher education train for a decade of my life, I know what degrees and credentials are primarily badges of compliance. Those with extended schooling have lived for many years in a world where one routinely conforms to the demands of authorities. Thus, for many MDs and PhDs, people different from them who reject this attentional and behavioral compliance appear to be from another world, a diagnosable one. I have found those those words should chill you, my friends. They should really chill you. He goes on and says, I have found that most psychologists, psychiatrists, and other mental health professionals are not only extraordinarily compliant with authorities, but also unaware of the magnitude of their obedience. I am reminded, my friends of an ancient Chinese um, proverb that I have shared with you many times before. And now I'm going to share it with you again. Keep that in mind, what the, the guy said about not even being aware of how authoritarian these people are. And the ancient Chinese proverb goes like this. 
He who knows not and knows not that he knows not is a fool. Shun him. He who knows not and knows that he knows not is ignorant. Educate him. He who knows and knows not that he knows is asleep. Wake him. And finally, he who knows and knows that he knows is a leader. Follow him. Now keep that in mind, my friends. When this psychiatrist talks to you and tells you that there that these <clears throat> psychiatrists are highly, highly authoritarian in and of themselves without even realizing it. So, now I've got to find my place. Yes, they, they're unaware of the magnitude of their obedience. There, I, I found my place. And it also has become clear to me that the anti-authoritarianism of their patients creates enormous anxiety for these professionals, and their anxiety fuels diagnoses and treatments, but of course they do. In graduate school, he writes, I discovered that all it took to be labeled as having issues with authority was to not kiss up to a director of clinical training whose personality was a combination of Donald Trump, Newt Gingrich, and Howard Cosell. When I was told by some faculty that I had, quote, issues with authority, end quote, I had mixed feelings about being so labeled. On the one hand, I found it quite amusing because among the working class kids with whom I had grown up with, I was considered relatively compliant with authorities. After all, I had done my homework, studied and received good grades. However, while my new <clears throat> issues with authority label made me grin because I was now being seen as a bad boy, it was also very much concerning to me about just what kind of a profession that I had entered. Specifically, if somebody such as myself was being labeled with, quote, issues with authority, end quote, what were they calling the kids I grew up with who paid attention to many things that they cared about but didn't care enough about school to comply there? Well, the answer soon became clear. Mental illness diagnosis for the anti-authoritarians. In 2009, Psychiatric Times article entitled ADHD and ODD, Confronting the Challenges of Disruptive Behavior, reported that, quote, disruptive disorders, end quote, which include attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, ADHD, and oppositional defiant disorder, ODD, are the most common mental health problem of children and teenagers. ADHD is defined by poor attention and distractibility, poor self-control, impulsivity, and hyperactivity. ODD is defined as a, quote, pattern of negative, hostile, and defiant behavior without the more serious violations of the basic rights of others that are seen in conduct disorder, end quote. And ODD symptoms include, quote, often actively defies or refuses to comply with adult requests or rules, end quote, and, quote, often argues with adults, end quote. 
psychologist Russell Barkley, one of the mainstream mental health leading authorities on ADHD, says that those afflicted with ADHD have deficits in what he calls, quote, rule-governed behavior, end quote, as they are less responsive to rules of established authorities and less sensitive to positive or negative consequences. ODD young people, according to mainstream mental health authorities, also have these so-called deficits in rule-governed behavior. And so it is extremely common for young people to have dual diagnosis of ADHD and ODD. Do we really want to diagnose and medicate everyone with deficits in rule-governed behavior? See, Albert Einstein, as a youth, would have likely received an ADHD diagnosis and maybe an ODD one as well. See, Albert didn't pay attention to his teachers, failed his college entrance examinations twice, and had difficulty holding jobs. However, Einstein biographer Ronald Clark, in his book Einstein, The Life and Times, asserts that Albert's problems did not stem from attention deficits, but rather from his hatred of authoritarian, Prussian discipline in his schools. Einstein said, quote, The teachers in the elementary school appeared to me like sergeants, and in the gymnasium the teachers were like lieutenants, end quote. At age 13, Einstein read Kant's difficult critique of pure reason because Albert was interested in it. Clark also tells us that Einstein refused to prepare himself for his college admissions as a rebellion against his father's unbearable path of practical profession. After he did enter college, one professor told Einstein, quote, you have one fault, one can't tell you anything, end quote. Gee, my friends, I remember how many times I have had that exact same thing told to me. I can't begin to tell you how many times that exact same thing has been told to me. The very characteristic of Einstein that upset authority so much were exactly the ones that allowed him to excel. By today's standards, Saul Alinsky, the legendary organizer and author of Reveille for Radicals and Rules for Radicals, would have certainly been diagnosed with one or more disruptive disorders. Recalling his childhood, Alinsky said, I never thought of walking on the grass until I saw a sign saying, keep off the grass. Then I would stomp all over it. Alinsky also recalls a time when he was 10 or 11, and his rabbi was tutoring him in Hebrew, saying, One particular day, I read three pages in a row without any errors in pronunciation, and suddenly a penny fell onto the Bible. Then the next day, the rabbi turned up and told me to start reading, and I wouldn't. I just sat there, silent, refusing to read. He asked me why I was so quiet, and I said, This time it's a nickel or nothing. He threw back his arm and slammed me across the room. Now, 
Many people with severe anxiety and or depression are also anti-authoritarians. Often a major pain of their lives that fuels their anxiety and or depression is a fear that their contempt for illegitimate authorities will cause them to be financially and socially marginalized. But they fear that compliance with such illegitimate authorities will cause them existential death. Now the author... Again, I remind you, a Ph.D. psychiatrist who is writing a piece which did not garner him any invitations to Christmas parties or uh, other such activities among his peers, writes and says, I have also spent a great deal of time with people who had at one time in their lives had thoughts and behavior that were so bizarre that they were extremely frightened for their families and even themselves. They were diagnosed with schizophrenia and other psychosis, but have fully recovered and have been for many years leading productive lives. Among this population, I have not met one person whom I would not consider a major anti-authoritarian. Once recovered, they have learned to channel their anti-authoritarianism into a more constructive political ends, including reforming mental health treatment. Many anti-authoritarians who early in their their lives were diagnosed with mental illnesses tell me that once they were labeled with a psychiatric diagnosis, they got caught in a dilemma. Authoritarians, by definition, demand unquestioning obedience. And so any resistance to their diagnosis and treatment created enormous anxiety for authoritarian mental health professionals and professionals feeling out of control labeled them non-compliant with treatment, end quote. Oh my goodness, my friends, how many times have I heard that very same thing said to me? And this increased the severity of their diagnosis. Again, personal experience, and jacked up their medications, except I refused them. This was enraging for these anti-authoritarians, sometimes so much that they react in ways that made them appear even more frightening to their families. There are anti-authoritarians who use psychiatric drugs to help them function, but they often reject psychiatric authorities' explanations for why they have difficulty functioning. So, for example, they may take Adderall, which is an antiphetamine prescribed for ADHD. It's speed, my friends, but they know that their attentional problem is not a result of biochemical brain imbalance, but rather a c- caused by their boring job. And similarly, many anti-authoritarians in highly stressful environments will occasionally take prescribed benzodiazepines such as Xanax, even though they believe it would be safer to occasionally use marijuana, but can't because of drug testing on the job. It's also been my experience that many anti-authoritarians labeled with psychiatric diagnosis usually don't reject all authorities, simply those they've assessed to be illegitimate ones which just happens to be a great deal of society's authorities. So, maintaining the societal status quo, Americans have been increasingly socialized to equate 
inattention, anger, anxiety, and immobilizing despair with a medical condition and to seek medical treatment rather than political remedies. What a better way to maintain the status quo than to view inattention, anger, anxiety, and depression as biochemical problems of those who are mentally ill rather than normal reactions to an increasingly authoritarian society. The reality, see, is that depression is highly associated with societal and financial pains. One is much more likely to be depressed if one is unemployed, underemployed, on public assistance, or in debt. Now, the author here says, for documentation, see 400% rise in antidepressant pill use uh, as a study, and he gives a link here. And ADHD kids, labeled kids, do pay attention when they're getting paid or when an activity is novel, interests them, or is chosen by them, which is documented in his book called Common Sense Rebellion. Now, in an earlier dark age, authoritarian monarchies partnered with authoritarian religious institutions. Do you see where this is going, my friends? When the world exited from this dark age and entered the Enlightenment, there was a burst of energy. Much of this revitalization had to do with risking skepticism about authoritarian and corrupt institutions and regaining confidence in one's own mind. We are now in another dark age, only the institutions have changed. Americans desperately need anti-authoritarians to question, challenge, and resist new illegitimate authorities and regain confidence in their own common sense. In every generation, there will be authoritarians and anti-authoritarians. And while it is unusual in American history for anti-authoritarians to take the kind of effective action that inspires others to successfully revolt, Every once in a while, a Tom Paine, a crazy horse, or a Malcolm X comes along. So authoritarians financially marginalize those who buck the system. They criminalize anti-authoritarianism. They psychopathologize anti-authoritarians, and they market drugs for their <clears throat> cure. Now, 